please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. Dude, cut the bleeding heart bullshit. I'm not bleeding heart because I this this is who you see. This is who I spent Valentine's Day. I, I spent I Valentine's Day with my kid, as you know, before, right. we, before we started. I went um I went shopping <laughs> today. And I went shopping and spent spent as much as I would on a guitar on a dryer. And I like I told you, nothing sexy about that. I got a, um, I think it's an LG. It's an LG or Samsung. Oh, and it's got smart troubleshooting technology. And here's what really ticks me off. So this is something I didn't tell you. Dryers only come with a one-year warranty. If you expect, if your dryer breaks in a year, it's because it was broken when you got it. Or you have to, or you have to pay extra to get an extended warranty, in which case you're at their mercy to come out and fix it. That's right. Which is... Hey, my dryer, my dryer's broken. Yeah, we'll be out in ninety days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I it, my my uh, my parents had a warranty on something recently. It was an appliance. I forget what it was, but they were like trying to get somebody to come out and look at it, and it took them three days for them to even yeah. schedule somebody. Just and to it was look. like, well, we have to check. We have to check your warranty, right? And then they came out and looked at it, and they're like, "We'll be back next week to fix it." And it was, you know, that's that's the warranty game, unfortunately, especially for, it for is. that kind of stuff right now. And and when you pay. Um, for these ridiculous warranties, like a hundred and something dollars or two hundred dollars, it, it depending on whether you want two or three years. Let me tell you something: if an appliance can't last three years, I don't want it. And yeah, yeah, and it's it, that's you know we talk about throwaway culture, and that's I mean that's basically the world now. I mean, even these the, are expensive the items. Yeah, even in the music industry, though. I mean, think about how many people are gigging with snark tuners. I see them on bottom Asa stuff. I mean, and, and I know, <laughs> so you know, that the, that those things are, are uh, being used. It's mind boggling, man. It really is. Um, I would venture a guess. So if you buy an appliance, like I bought my dishwasher this summer. Yep. Of course there, it's got a three year limited warranty. And I'm like, yeah, limited because you're not going to fix anything. You know, and, and I, and I was kind of sitting there thinking like, do people actually call repair people for these appliances anymore? No. I mean, because I mean, I've seen brand new refrigerators out on the side of the road, like, you know, waiting for the scrappers to come by and pick them up. Cause we don't really think up here is a whole thing. People, you're not allowed to throw away anything. So what ends up happening is somebody comes by with their junk truck and they throw it on there instead of the garbage people. So, um, my, I've also heard stories of people leaving a six pack of beer to get the garbage guys to pick up stuff that they shouldn't. Yep. That's a whole other, like what? Yep, or a 20. Um, I, yeah, I've seen, uh, my brother used to go around and he used to pick up stuff and kind of, do you know a song? Have you ever heard a song? It's called, um, Alice's restaurant. No. Okay. The song Alice's restaurant by Woody Guthrie. Old mm-hmm. song. 
And it goes, uh, you can get anything you want except um, at Alice's restaurant, except actually Alice's. I have heard it. Yeah, I okay. have heard it. The song is about a guy who takes a bunch of garbage. It's Thanksgiving weekend and they can't find right. a place to get rid of this garbage. So they take the garbage to the dump and they, they dump it. And what's funny is the um, cops come and they give them a ticket. And the ticket is for the garbage because they found an envelope at the bottom of the garbage. They said, we found an envelope with your name on That's it. That's a legit thing. I know. I know. I, I, especially this was the 60s. I mean, think about it. Yeah. When the song well, came out. I believe it was my dad who worked for a company who they were getting rid of financial documents. And the truck that was hauling them to the place where they were to be shredded rolled over. <laughs> and spilled out on the roadway and apparently like that's the way that they found out whose whose documents were on the truck like whose truck it was uh was that they had the name of the company on there so i mean that's that's not unheard of for people that to get is, in trouble for dumping stuff off the side of the road because they have their name on it that is um, quite funny and and sad but anyway um uh that that i don't know what brought that up but um uh, that's well, what, that's it's, it's a kind of similar story is like having something with your name on it that gets you in trouble. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it gets you in trouble. So anyway, I bought the I bought the dryer. I hope to last. Ten, you know, what's funny is I bought um, I bought a dryer um, uh, and my wife still has it. And uh, she is replacing the seal on the door. Guess how long she's had that dryer? Or, well, ten we years. had the Ten years, twenty years, yeah, twenty yeah. years, and it's just an old GE or an LEG. I want to say it's a GE. And, um, and back bought, in those, back even five years ago or ten years ago, those things lasted way longer. It's just yeah. they're planned obsolescence now. Yeah, um, and that's that's we see it. In the, I, I've said we see it in our community too. I mean, the Snark tuner is a piece of junk. It is a piece of junk. I know there's yeah. no people in this show that use them. And they're like, ah, they're not garbage. Listen, I got a guy I know who plays a guitar and he doesn't want to spend any money on his gear. And he uses a snark tuner because they're cheap. And he told me the other day, the last time I saw him, he said, I'm never using another snark tuner. And I said, why? He said, because they keep breaking. And he's like, I bought like five of them. So he said, I, what would you recommend? And I said, get a TU3 or get a, you know, any floor model tuner. It's going to well, stand up to you. Oh, it's out of it, it. I've got it cropped in the thing, but my TU3 is right here. And then this is my RoboStomp. This I'm literally going to mount right here. And so uh -huh. it'll be in front of me at my desk, uh -huh. um, right where my wall calendar is. And um, I'm just going to mount it right there. I'm going to pull a little shelf thing just like that. Yeah. And uh, picture shelf. Picture shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Picture shelf. Um, like the ones I have for the albums behind me. And I'm just right. going to put it right there. And that is going to be my, because um, this is where I do all my work. Um, mm -hmm. If you looked, if you looked down, I have a, um, I have one of those rolling pads that you buy from Music Nomad, and that's what I use for this. So, I, yeah, mine's uh, mine's under my desk right now. <laughs> I think everybody has I, one of those at this point. They're ubiquitous. A, yeah, and I'm going to have a TU three or or this on my board every time um, because. I'm not going to trust a snark. I mean, it, it, it's one thing to throw a snark on my acoustic, which is right here. You know what I like uh, them for? If I have to tune up before I go on stage, I'll yeah. be, you know, sitting off to the side or, you know, wherever, and I'll tune up 
And then when I get on stage, I plug into the tuner and I tune again because yeah. I just, it's a force of habit. I want to make sure that I don't have as much setup time to do on stage as I can, yeah. but it's something like worth noting. I've got a polytune clip on here. Um, oh, yep. I've got a polytune clip on. And, and these are okay, but I, but I believe me, this, I would not intonate my guitar with this. And I have intonated my guitar with plenty of pedal tuners, but not this. Um, this is not that accurate. Uh, I can tell you from experience that this is not the same electronics that goes into the polytune that's on the floor. I owned one and they, have, that was far more accurate. What do I um, have? How much was that? Was that one? I got them when they ones? first came out. Actually, this was one, one of my daughters and they're not using it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this for now. Cause I'm like, I, we spent good money on it. It's going to get used. I'm just not going to let it die. I um, have, what do I have? I have a, um, a tuner that I bought. It was like 50 bucks and let's see if I can find it. And, and, um, it's in that one of my gig bags because that's that the one I actually take. These stay yeah, here. Not, yeah. The snarks are okay to have around. I'm not going to tell people not to use snark, but I, but I know the quality is suspect. I know I've heard a lot of people talk about failures, um, but they're so cheap. You can buy two of them. I mean, what they're, they're like five bucks now. I don't even yeah. think they're they're you know well, they're between polytunes? five and twenty. No, and, no, the um, gone back the snark or snark. No, the snark. Yeah, the snarks are back up to like thirty bucks. Are they really? Yeah, that's a complete waste of money. I mean, I would even much... go buy the cheap, the cheapy boss was really good. I have that too. The PRS um, headstock tuner is now is is uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? What? You said PRS headstock tuner. You said cigarette. <laughs> I said I, <laughs> I said what? You said the secret phrase PRS headstock oh. tuner. Yeah, I would that's not the, buy that's one. A secret phrase. I think we need to do that from now. I think every episode we need to have a secret phrase. Secret phrase, and it can be stupid. And it, we should pick like stupid stuff, like like tone wood, something, something dumb. Yeah, tone wood. Tone wood. Ah, trigger, trigger word, trigger word. You said the secret word. Yay. I, I don't know if you grew up. I don't know if your kid, no, your kids are way too young for um, Pee Wee. But that was Pee Wee's playhouse. Amber, yeah. Amber the did, that's the secret phrase. And then he'd go and scream and, you know, run around. Run, run and, around. Like a maniac. and it was, it was hilarious because uh, it really wasn't um, a very secret phrase. I have I'm a visitor. To... He's looking to see if there's any food oh. on my desk. He's a scavenger. Um, and he's paying me a visit. He'll probably go away now. Although These clip-on be... tuners, man, they're getting expensive. Yeah, um, they are. And they're no longer disposable. So that was like the whole thing. I think that was why they, they took off initially, because they were the cheap tuner option. So people were like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to buy a clip-on tuner. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yep, well, I did. now I they're did disposable. I thought it was. I did get the TC Electronic Polytune Clip-On Tuner. Yeah, which is it's nice. okay. It, it costs 50 freaking dollars. Yeah, it's one of the stupid expensive ones. I mean, um, it, I got mine on I got the one for my daughter on sale, I think for 35 bucks, which good, I good have. Um, I have a Korg one and I use that. And that thing is really good. I use that thing all the time. But they're, but, they're still, they're Clip-On Tuners. And just remember, you know, if your guitar has dead spots, think about it. 
And by dead spots, I mean places where the notes don't ring out the same, not because of the fret height or anything like that, but because this, it just doesn't resonate. And I've had yeah. guitars like that. Yeah. Um, and you use this to tune with, like, think about that for a minute. I mean, I would much rather tune off the electronics. Um, I think that's the safer bet to go with. And especially if you're going to be like touring, this is not none of this stuff. Dude, this is plastic. It's not tour grade. Yep. I mean, this thing is built like a tank. I mean, I was impressed with the TU3. I got this. This thing is a, this is a freaking tank. Um, yeah. They, well, but, so these things. I'm just saying that they're great. They had a lot of professional endorsers when the Strobo Stomp first came out, the original Strobo Stomp. Yep. And I was shocked by the amount of people that were willing to spend like $250, $300 on a tuner. And honestly, like having used one before and having used real strobe tuners from time to time, uh, I have to say, like, I understand why people were willing to spend money on it now. I didn't back then. Yeah. Um, we, um, you know which one um, people were excited about when it was first announced that just kind of faded into obscurity is that Ernie Ball um, volume pedal one. Oh, the volume pedal tuner? Well, that was because there was a big uh, a big hubbub. There's a modder that actually builds a volume pedal with a built-in tuner in it, and he's he's putting uh I think it's a uh, the polytune in him, and so like Ernie Ball got pissed because he was buying Ernie Ball volume pedals at cost, right, like at price, and then he was sawing them, <laughs> sticking his thing in there, um. And it's it's the guy that Schnobeltone, I think, is the guy that was doing it. The the it, the, the YouTube guy Schnobel, right? Uh, I don't know if you're super familiar with him, but I'm sure you've seen some of his videos. He was doing it, and like he came out with a product they were going to sell. And of course, GHS announced the seesaw, which that was their whole thing. They were going to do a wah, or I think it was a volume. It was a volume tuner, and it didn't end up happening. So, um, it ended up over it you know ernie ball they're like well hell they're already doing it we're gonna do the same thing um well i guess i guess may as well if people are doing it may as well do it i um uh i saw them come in and at first i was kind of interested you know i was like oh this is kind of and then i went eh, it's i mean it's I, a volume pedal it, and i have a volume pedal it's a tuner i have a tuner if you don't want a volume pedal on your board i mean okay so so let, let's let's back up yeah that's Talk the other about. side of it go ahead yeah boards right so like nobody wants the the space station and i've owned the space station i could tell you that when i had it i wanted it and then when i got it i was like i don't want this um and it was i mean i've i've told this story on the show so many times i'm gonna try not to be like an idiot about it but i had this board that was so big it was this big and i'm sure my arm's out of frame and i don't care because it was so big i actually couldn't wrap my hands around it that way I had to grab over the front of it and pick it up and it wouldn't fit him in the trunk of my car. It was yep. so big that I, I would have to like shimmy it in one way and then kind of move it around the spare tire and then spin it the other way. And I could get, I could finally get it in there, but nothing else could be in the trunk. I'd have to empty yep. the trunk, put the board in and put everything back in on top of it. Yep. Uh, it was a nightmare. So I finally said, no, we're not going to do this. And it was so impractical. Like I, it was completely loaded. It was really heavy. It was almost, it was almost uh, 50 pounds. And um, I just finally said, no, we're not going to do this anymore. But um, I bought, so I had the SG at the time and I was like, I really miss being able to do volume swells and stuff with my, with my hand while I'm playing, while I'm playing, right? Like violin type stuff. And um, so I went and I bought a nerdy ball VP junior and I put it on the, I put it on that board and moved some stuff around. I got it to fit. 
I had three treadle pedals on that board. I had a Deja Vibe, I had a Wah pedal, and then I had the volume pedal. <laughs> okay. Um, so once you put that all into perspective, like you could see what kind of insanity was going on here. And I, and I finally, like when I got rid of that board, the first thing that I decided was going was the volume pedal. Cause I'm like, you know what? I, it's just too damn big volume pedal. VP junior from Ernie, from Ernie ball is like, it's, it's bigger than a brick. I mean, it'll take up half your board if you're using the size of board I am now, which is a, which is a Voodoo Lab, uh, v, or the Voodoo Lab medium, um, which is not a small board, right? Like it's reasonably sized. Um, so I just, I don't understand why people want to reserve that much space on their board for volume pedal. And honestly, Jim, I have a theory. I have a theory that a lot of people who have a volume pedal on their pedal board don't actually use it. They buy one just to fill up space that they have left over. So their board looks cool. I, I, you see, I mean, you've been you've been in pedal boards of Dune before, right? Or at least you've seen some of the stuff that comes out of pedal boards of Dune from me because I'm sure sent you clips and whatever. Um, there is like some of those people have like a fantasy about what their board looks like. I'm like, I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> you know, I honestly don't care what it looks like. If all my pedals are yellow, it doesn't matter to me. Um, because I get to the point where I don't even want to look down at my board. I just want to. I know where the switches are. I know where I'm standing in relation to it. I know where the switches are. I don't look down when I'm playing. I try not to anyway. I do end up looking down, of course. But um, So the Volume Pedal Junior thing is just a joke to me. And speaking of throwaway pedals, I mean, the string in those things. Like, what the hell were they thinking? You could use steel cable, and it would last for, for a decade, you know, or, or 20 years without ever having a problem. They use a string. Well, it's easy to replace. Well, apparently it isn't because a lot of people send them off to get them replaced. So, I don't know. Maybe some people just aren't good at it. I I get that. I um I can understand that. I just, I, you know, so um, talking about that about the, uh, you know, the the pedal. I let me just say that there is no. Uh, like I look at my pedal board right now and you know, there's a lot of redundancy on there. Yeah. I have, I have the caverns and I have the MXR, uh, what do you call it? And I have a built-in reverb on both amps. Although yeah, I don't think that's, re- I don't think that's necessarily redundant, but, but, but I can my see Univide, where somebody can my phase 90. Yeah. My Univibe, my phase 90, my chorus, those are, rever- those are redundant. Nah, disagree. Totally. No? All, all three separate effects. Especially okay, you were saying they were redundant. No, what I was telling you was I don't think you need any of them. There's a difference. Oh. So like I have on my board right now, I have a phaser, I have a chorus, and I have um, a univibe. And all three of those things do distinctly different sounds. The two most related are probably the univibe and the phaser. The chorus is just a whole other animal. And I, um, when we were talking about that, we were talking about most people could get by with just a modulation pedal, a dirt pedal. And, you know, a wah, like yep. there's just some people act like you need all these different things to do your whole gig. And it's because like, they're trying to nail the sound of some, you know, obscure recording that no one in the audience cares about. So that's what that was related to. But I, I think uh, I mean, if you really want to go all out, and you want to have, you know, some some modulation options. That's perfectly acceptable. But well, um, not was, necessary. 
yeah, what I was trying to get at is I've got 12 pedals, right? And other than the tuner and the wah, you know, I, I look at, um, I've got the, uh, uh, the Keeley, the dark side, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering is, um, what am I thinking? The, the, so the, the dark side, that's a dirt pedal. My bottom row is pretty much dirt pedals, except well, for the dark sides. The dark sides a multi effect because it has it on has one side it has flange and and uh, uh, Univibe too, Rotavibe. Some, okay, so it has yeah some sort of and it also has thing. delay. It depends on which one you want to use. It's three three different things you can use. I've been using it in the uh, fake Leslie thing, the Rotavibe. Right, you know, it's, right. It's just a Univibe. Um, then I have the 50, 50, then I have the Paisley. And then I have, um, a guy, uh, a friend of mine gave me, uh, um, uh, Seymour Duncan's version of the, um, uh, of the TS nine. It's called the eight Oh five. Oh yeah. The w- with right. Which is basically a bad monkey clone with some tweaks. Is that what it is? I don't know. Yeah, Cause the bad monkey is a, is a tube screamer with two extra knobs. I mean, or with, with an extra knob. So it's bass and treble instead of just treble. Yeah. I wasn't going to look a gift horse in the mouth. So I said, okay, I'll take it. Um, I'm sure it's a great pedal. Like honestly, it, the Seymour Duncan stuff I've seen has been great. So it's, no, it's really good. I like it. It's, it's become a bit of a on pedal. You know what I mean? Um, and it stacks well with the other stuff. Are um, you just, you got the, I, I'm assuming you're getting ready to gain at like nine o'clock and then the volume boosted or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The boot, the volume is boosted a little bit and the gain is. I would say that's the way you're supposed to use that pedal, but I've said that about fuzz faces and been totally freaking wrong. So I'm just going to shut my mouth. Well, yeah, this, I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a, well, you, you said it was, a, <laughs> but, um, it's a, it's supposed to be like a TS-808 or whatever. And then, yeah. um. Uh, the, so, and then of course I got the compressor. I use the compressor as a boost. I mean, that's my clean boost. That's just my boost off on, off. um, and I have a second one. I don't know where I put it, but it's here somewhere. Um, and, uh, what I, what I, what I'm wondering, so as I, I'm using fuzz more, I'm trying to get that. The, the toughest thing, and you know this, you know this, uh, the toughest thing is to get the fuzz to sound good with a single coil and a, a and it's impossible, by the way. Well, it's yeah. not with the same settings, for sure. Right. That's what I'm saying. I got to find the guitar I'm going to use it with, and then that's the one I've got to say, okay, this is the one that I'm going to match the. The, um, yeah i so like even the way i do it jim i mean all my guitars right now that i'm playing are pretty much single coil in nature i got yeah. single coils and p90s i do have a i actually no i take it back i got the shingze now that's humbucker and i've got um i've got the the kiesel now the kiesel super bright so i don't have any issues with it because it puts out enough high frequencies and that's usually generally the problem is yeah. that like humbuckers don't really put people think, Oh, well they're fatter. They put out the same amount of highs as a single coil, but they're just fat. No, they don't. They, they, the reason why single coil sounds like that is because it's putting out an insane amount of trouble. Um, cause of the super focused response, right? Like there's nothing to change the inductance. And so it is what it is. Yep. But, um, I bought this guy, the Kingmaker thinking, um, this was going to be the solution to that because it's got a treble control. 
I can use, I can plug whatever guitar I want into it and then adjust the treble. And actually, by and large, it is. I'm just not super happy with the way that it feels. And I've been playing with this more and more the last couple of weeks. And um, this, there's a reason it's not on my board right now. Let's, let's just put it that way. But I, it's not going anywhere yet. I haven't decided what I'm doing with this guy. I actually really like this pedal, but I just, um, you know, I'm, I, to be honest, I bought a really fancy, expensive camera for the show. And I'm uh, for the show and other things. But I'm uh, sort of, <laughs> I'm like, this thing is looking like a little, like a hundred dollars right now. <laughs> That's what it's looking like. And I'm, yeah. and I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe yeah, you got to think in maybe in I terms can of- offset my uh, my camera price a little bit. But yeah. um, yeah. So I've been thinking, uh, I've been thinking about the 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 because I'll be I'm going to be gigging mm-hmm. again. I just I just uh, had a band. They kind of tricked me into joining them. So um, do you, what I would do. What I would do for your case is I would take each guitar I have, get the board sounding good with that guitar, take a picture of the settings, and then do the next guitar, take a picture of the settings, do the next guitar, take a picture of the settings. And that way, when you go to a gig and you have to switch guitars, you look at the picture and you just twiddle knobs. Or you can even do, and I've seen people do it with tape. They put a little thing of tape and then they write lines on it to know where things got to be turned. And they might have LP next to it and S next to it. So they know that like with the LP or the Strat. And you know what? Your modulation stuff probably doesn't change. I just do the same thing with a a, a color code. So Uh my Les Paul was red and my Strat was green. And I was really the only two guitars I could ever carry. Yeah. And, And so for your purposes, like... The only pedal that I think you really would really need to modify is probably your dirts, your input level, your output level, you know, so your gain and then your output and then, you know, whatever your EQ settings are. And then, of course, on your fuzz, like you're using basically muff style fuzzes. So what you would want to do is probably balls, you're going to tweak the the treble up just a hair. You don't want it up too much because actually fuzz is supposed to be pretty warm, Um, but you but you don't want it to be bass heavy, you know, like on that side of things. So I typically run most of my guitars around noon, especially in a, in a muff, but I'll turn the, like the tone controls ever so slightly to the right or left, depending on what the guitar is. It's almost never beyond, um, it, it's never beyond one o'clock and it's never below 11 o'clock. I mean, it's, I, it's pretty in that territory. Yeah, for most. I, I it depends on the buzz too. Cause it, well, so the muffs, <laughs> the muff, that muff circuit is like, if it's done right, that noon tone control should be really close to like vintage style fuzz. And when people like when you hear the the, um, the pumpkins or whatever, they got that shit that treble knobs like cranked oh up God. and it just it's irritating. But that's a specific sound, and you can do that too. You just got to remember what your range is and be careful because I mean you can damage people's hearing in in a live show by doing that if oh, your yeah. if your production equipment can hit. Like so, especially in the day of going direct. Right. And I wanted to address um, John Bott's uh, comment from a couple weeks ago um, on this episode. But um, especially if you're going direct, because those PA systems can put out way more frequencies than a regular electric guitar are. So if you somehow turn off your cabinet simulator and you got, you know, a big muff going with the treble cranked, I mean, it is going to, some people are going to be pissed. <laughs> it's going to make some people real mad. <laughs> it's, they're not going to like that. <laughs> um, so just, just be wary of that. But you, you don't, so you're not cranking the treble, right? You're just cranking up the fuzz. 
question are you are you stacking it with that that uh overdrive the the tsa to wait so that's something you should consider doing oh really uh yeah i would back the fuzz knob way down like halfway or less and drive it with the tsa to wait just the normal way you would like with it clean boost or whatever and what you're going to find is it it uh boosts the mids like a ton through that pedal and it sounds way better and on the other side of it if you have any sort of TSA to weight clone, clone line around like a TS mini or anything like that. You can use it after um, the muff and you can hit them both at the same time and it'll do the same thing, but it'll actually just accentuate what's already in the pedal and bring those mids forward. And that's, it's also a unique sound, but it'll help you cut through the mix, especially with the big muff. Cause that's the, that's the challenge of the big muff is it's so much there that you just disappear. Uh, it's like a wash of symbols. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of content coming out of that pedal. Sorry, I keep muting myself because the for some reason the fan on my computer is pumping out some fears. Probably bar- I can barely even hear it. Really? <laughs> Good. Oh yeah. well, then I won't I won't keep muting. Well, I don't know about on your end because you're piping directly from the microphone, but uh That's Discord's true. doing a good job of cleaning up that audio for me. Well, this is this is what Discord hears too, so it should be good. Um so um what was I saying? Oh well, you know, obviously it's important, at least to me that um that i get um a decent fuzz so i joined this band and you know it's a cover band and you know i'm not trying to anything but there are songs where like in the song i can't get exactly the tone i'm not even going to try i'm not doing this helix thing again Uh, but (laughs) um, like no it's just it's just not going to happen i i'm not that guy it's um, also not worth the trouble. I mean, maybe, for, yeah, for, maybe down the road I'll try something. I, right now I'm not. But okay, let's take a, a, a Kings of Leon, which is a band I just. If there's a Nickelback for me, it's Kings of Leon. Okay, and <clears throat> the song is "Use Somebody," right? And in "Use Somebody," there's a guitar that's just constantly like. It's just playing a downstroke, just downstroke, downstrokes on a. Same on the same chord for the yeah whole song, downstrokes on on one chord where he's just moving one finger you know it's like yeah, okay, oh my I'm god this finger down now it's up down it's down now it's up down it's down now it's up. and uh, you know during that oh, oh, oh and and I'm like oh, oh you mean during oh. millennial loop yeah and, and yeah exactly um and then <laughs> you've got uh, uh what's that name of that band believer by Imagine Dragons. Another Nickelback. I mean, if you're going to give Nickelback a credit, they're, they're the creed. So hey, at least you're not playing radioactive. Yeah. And, and Imagine Dragons is creed. Okay. So um, everybody told me, they were like, oh man, oh, this band it came out with a song called Radioactive. I said, I know that song. <laughs> that wasn't the song I knew at all. But anyway, so. Um, I you're, like thinking, you're thinking of the firm. You're thinking of the firm. Right. <laughs> the firm from back in the 80s, right? <laughs> um, definitely not the radioactive. I thought radioactive. I don't know. No, no that was not it. <sighs> um, and uh, who who was the drummer for that band? By the way, the firm. I don't know who the firm's drummer was. It That's wasn't Jason Bottom because he wasn't old enough. No, 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 no. He would have been like he would have been like He's fourteen. Like fourteen, <laughs> yeah, fourteen, fifteen years old at that point. Um, but anyway, um, it, whoever it was was good. I think uh, wasn't it? What's it call it from Bad Company singing lead? Um, yeah, it was Paul Rogers. Paul Rogers, yeah, from from Bad Company and whatever else. Dude, that guy did. got around. 
Yeah, that guy, I mean, geez, he replaced Freddie Mercury for a while. Um, but uh, anyway, he, you know, he he uh, was one of the people that um, tried out for ACDC for Brian Johnson's spot. That Brian yeah, Johnson. well, he actually, so like Freddie kind of handpicked him while he was alive. He yeah. said they, 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 were to, they were to concert one time watching Free, I think. And he told the guys, he said, if anything ever happens to me, he's like, you guys should get that guy. <laughs> yeah, you should call that guy. I can believe that. I really can believe it's that. It's true. It's true. It happened. But anyway, in those songs, it's got like this fuzzy thing, but it's like way, uh, you know, it's like, a, it, it's like, um, yeah. you know, the beginning of Pink Floyd's uh, Wish You Were Here, where it's got it's that. It's probably, it, what, you're, what you're hearing in those songs is like a dual rack or a triple rack. Yeah. And it's. It's heavily gated. It sounds like a freaking synthesizer. It doesn't sound like a yeah. guitar. Yeah. And it's, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's something that's been around since like the new metal days where they were doing so much with gating that they were like completely cutting off, you know, notes and stuff yep. so that it would get this effect. Um, that for what it's worth, I think that's what you're, what you're reacting to is more or less just like typical guitar amp, but Hey, we're going to, Cut the yeah, you know. and we're gonna lo-fi the shit out of it. Yeah, and then they run it through, you know, like like an AM radio simulator EQ. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. It sounds like it's coming out of somebody's tinny AM radio that they're holding yeah, up the microphone. Just, so it's all, it's all, and in a song like that, it was probably done because not because they wanted it to be all mids, but because as they were listening to it, they're like, it's gonna be really hard for us to balance this with everything else. So we'll just make it all mids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can believe that. I can totally believe that. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's, uh, this is the set list here and, um, it, how many of you got to learn? Like you've never played before. Yeah. Uh, I've never even heard of, let's see. There's one called good kisser. Um, tell him I'm a good kisser. You know, it's a female singer. So a lot of these, of are, um, but, uh, let's see. I've never, I've never even heard that song before. There was one by a guy named uh, Jared Neiman, Neiman called Lover Lover. Two chords. Uh, I, I, it took me a long time to learn that one. Um, I won't go into my... Sounds like when I joined Old Stumpy. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know how to play half Old Stumpy songs. I just, I just follow along. Imagine Dragon Believer is way too much work for what it's worth. Um, uh, let's see. I've never played something to talk about by Bonnie Raitt. Um, so that yeah. was fun. Okay. All right. Uh, that, I, actually, that would be a fun song to play. Yeah. There's some interesting fun. chord stuff going on in that song. She goes and she does a weird um, key change uh, at the yeah. end. There's a, a key change that goes up. Uh, what? It's a whole step, right? Yeah. It's a full step. It, yeah. 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 She goes B flat or no. It's a it's a minor third. She goes from A to. Oh, that's C. why I, said, I was going to say. Yeah. I thought it was a minor third because uh, they were. I was watching a thing where they were talking about modulation in popular music, and like that one is the song they reference for the minor third key yeah. change. That's a big jump. Um, yeah, and then uh, and I'm doing a solo over that, uh, both in the A and in the C. And then uh, uh, what else have I never played? There's a, there's a few songs on here I've never played, I, and I didn't even know. I've never played Give Me One Reason, Tracy Chapman, which is a good song. It's a great song. Um, I just never played it before. There's a song called Vice by Miranda Lambert. Um, sure. 
and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, Last Request by Nutini. Uh, let me see. There's one called Paolo. What's his name? Paolo. Oh, that's it. Last Request. Paolo Nutini. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I, can, I guess I can do that. It's actually um, not bad. It's not a terrible song. Uh, but And then there was one in here called Breathe, and I thought it was the... Uh, a terrible song by um, uh, uh, Faith Hill, uh, Mrs. Tim Tim McGraw. But instead, it's a terrible song by Ann Nalick. Um, even more basic and even more boring. Still better than having to cover the Primus song, Breathe. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be... Because you have... Probably... Not Primus. Um, the hell's the name of that band? Uh, Prodigy. Prodigy. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah, PR band, right? Like I forgot, and I was like, "Oh, Primus, no, not problem." Could you imagine having to play a Prodigy song? I don't know if you've ever. It's it's like electronica. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For for me, Primus would be like, "Oh my god, I don't know where I am." Right. Oh, now. Primus, I would be like, "Oh hell no!" Like I would just be like, "No, not doing this." Nope. Uh, nope. I know better <laughs> than to try to tread on that musical ground. Um, that is, there is certain. Bands I love. Don't Pri- I love Primus, but oh, man, yeah. I am not like that. Is not a band that I would try to emulate. <laughs> No, I, as much as I love Jerry's a race car driver, I'm not going to try to re- uh, play it. You know, you can do it even South Park. Yeah, right. <laughs> even South Park. Do you, do you have a tremolo on your bass? Because I mean, you'll need a tremolo bar. <laughs> he's, a, he's a crazy bass player. Man. He's um, he's fantastic. Les Claypool yeah. is a monster. He's, um, he's but one that, of those people. He he said he he took his um his chops from uh, which call it from the Who um. John Entwistle. Yeah, he's yeah, a Entwistle. big Entwistle guy. Yeah. Um, because he's a um, big lot of guy, but he, I think he was more into guitar players as a bass player than he yeah. was bass players as a bass player. So yeah. that's a big He called part himself of his style. a lead bassist. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what he is. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, yeah, he's, he's probably one of my favorite bass players ever, too, by the way. But um, it's yeah. uh, the guitar player. I can never remember his name. He was on. Um, yeah, he his name always because uh, he's got a escapes weird, me as well. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, I shouldn't say weird. It's just a, a, a not uh, um, a, a non common first name that kind of throws me or last. Yeah, name. but his pl- his playing style ranges from like um, I don't want to say sedentary, but like like the normal tame to just like way out there stuff it's like it's just hard to get in the same frame of mind uh at least for me to to like be able to do the kind of spacey rock and roll stuff like not rock and roll but spacey rock like like pink floyd ambient delay wash you know stuff like that straight up to you know hey we're just gonna jam some like funk chords on this and that's i mean that's basically his Play style is like that. Lalonde. Yeah. I always want to say Lalonde. Yeah, Lalonde. Yeah, Lalonde. Larry Lalonde. Right. And uh, anyway, he <clears throat> he was on the um, he was on uh, Gibson TV last week and a week before and talking to uh, them. Um, so I thought it was it was kind of interesting. Do you know who but, he actually reminds me of as a player? Jean Frusciante. Yeah, that makes sense. I Have mean, you ever seen I, them I, in the same room together? Perhaps they're the same person. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. I sincerely doubt that. They are not the same person. But their playing is kind of like in the same, Yeah, I guess. Stoner rock style. I, I would just say in that, you know, in that ballpark, which which is a very wide ballpark, but 
I, I sort of associate those two guys together a lot. Um, not Dave Devaro though. <laughs> no, no, what? Devaro is not nearly the. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I don't. I'm not hating on Dave. No, 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 no. Can, He's not. Can we? That. Let, let's take a step back. Let, let's talk about. Let's talk. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, like, isn't that really funny? So we've got John Frusciante, who's basically like the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitar player. But I think they actually had somebody before him, and they obviously have people after him. Uh, and then they had he left the band, uh, and I thought it was like to get clean or whatever. He couldn't he couldn't continue because like there was too much temptation or whatever. And then they brought in, um, I just said his name a minute ago. Uh, um, the guy from Jay's addiction, Dave Navarro. <laughs> yeah. They brought in Dave. They brought in Dave Navarro, which, which actually like the bands, the connection between the bands sort of makes sense. Like I could see Jane's addiction kind of being like in a similar musical style as, and the same, like again, same ballpark as Red Hot Chili Peppers, but then like Dave Navarro as a musician is like the polar opposite of John Frusciante, and it worked. Like I'm, I may be the only person that ever says that. I mean, I was thrilled to see John Frusciante come back when I was a kid. Um, but they had a guy named Jack Sherman. Yeah, they had yeah. a guy named Josh. Klinghoffer. They had yep. a guy named Hillel, Hillel Slavak. Uh, they had a guy named Eric, as it, with an A, Eric uh, Marshall from 92 to 93. They had a guy named uh, Jesse Tobias. Yeah. His so name think, rings a bell. Aren't there two? There are two, there are two guitars band, aren't they? If I, if I recall. I mean, Frusciante is the one they always talk about. So they're a four piece. I thought sure, yeah, there are four Shanti's the only guy. I think yeah, but I think they're but just they had like the four members: the lead singer, the drummer, the bassist, and him. And for a while, they had a lead guitar player. But yeah, this one thinking. Of, but they had they had um, like ten records before they ever really had like major success. They were an underground band in the LA scene for a long. Or it was it was it's Southern California, but. They were an underground band over there for a long time before they finally like uh, hit it. And Frusciante was part of that lineup. Yeah, they so had I, Hill, Hillel Slavic before uh, Frusciante. Right. Frusciante right. joined in 88. Yeah. And that was right before the band like blew up. Because um, yep. they, again, I, I know people that were fans of them before they blew up, uh, who are, you know, obviously older than me, but. Uh, they always bitch because they're like, well, you know, after they hit it big, they weren't as good anymore. Well, their sound was totally different. You know, they went from being like damn near a hardcore punk band to being, you know, sort of, I don't want to say like funk rock. I mean, that's basically what it became, you know, um, it's a cool band. I, I actually, I enjoy a lot of their stuff. I don't like, I don't like a lot of the newer stuff. I mean, I like the stuff that was out when I was a kid. Um, well, I guess for Shanti is back with them. He left for a while. He left. He's left twice. Yeah. Um, and he actually like kind of handpicked his replacement the second time. And I didn't know he was back. That's not a surprise to me. Uh, I knew the guy was still out there and at large. He, he had some other projects <clears throat> I think he was working on. But um, The only one that has the only two that have been there the whole time are Ketis and Flea. 
Correct. Yeah, that I did know. They are. They had the core a drummer before Chad Smith. I didn't know they had a drummer before Chad Smith. Yeah, but I'll but be honest with there. you, I didn't even. I never cared. What's that? <laughs> he's been one of their longtime. Yeah, guys, he's been there you know, since '88. He's right. or '89. He's been there the whole time. Um, uh, Frashanti, like I said, he dropped and Navarro. Really, when you think of them, you think of Frashanti or think of Navarro. You really don't think of anybody else. I mean. Well, I mean, anybody who's aware of them now, like from their success in the early nineties, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one thing I did want to talk about in this episode is I'm like rediscovering a lot of blue stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've got other topics, but I'd kind of like to trace that path. And I actually want to talk about, I'm, I'm doing true fire. Um, so oh, I got are? the true okay, fire. I, was I, got about fire I got the true fire subscription. So how much um, is that per month? 25 bucks. So, okay. I mean, to make That's it worth bad. it, you really have to yeah. actively use it. But, um, I would say the quality of instruction that's available there for people who are advanced players. And I have not done any of the simple stuff. Uh, cause why the hell would I do that? Um, the, I'm just not that I'm like, no, wouldn't I get something we- out of it, but it's just like, I'm paying 25 bucks. I'm going to get my use out of it. Um, so I do the stuff that's interesting to me. Wait, wait, wait. But anyway, you're um, you're not going like this, but you have to go. You have to play this, then this, then this. <laughs> don't make me get my guitar off the wall here. I will shred that thing. Uh, but anyway, I'm just saying, how many of those, uh, those videos do you see online? Go ahead, go ahead. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, if you want that, don't pay for it. Go to YouTube. Um, but like. I so I started off the reason I did is I, I looking at all this Josh Smith or Josh Smith, uh, yeah Josh Smith stuff that Josh was Smith. on there and I was looking and then that took me down the Robin Ford path and I'm like man they both got like killer blues packages and I'm like I would really like to listen to all of them but I really don't want to spend the two hundred dollars it would take me to buy all the courses so I'm like. They've got the all access pass. I'm like, I can sample, I can find out what I want. I can breeze through the stuff that's easy and I can focus on the stuff that's hard and learn it and then just cut off my subscription. Right. And actually I've been pleasantly surprised. Even the simple stuff from Robin Ford is masterclass. <clears throat> the things he's showing, he has just like chord voicings and chord ideas. And it's not even like, he's not, he's not showing you stuff that probably wouldn't occur to you, but it's like a style guide. And you can listen to it and you can play through it and you can go, okay. I mean, like, this is something I could do that I don't already do. But like, if I was really trying to nail that approach, I'd probably come up with it eventually. Um, But just kind of expanding the possibilities and and opening your mind a little bit to some different things. Because he definitely plays a different style of blues rhythm guitar than I've ever heard anyone else play. Um, And then the Josh Smith stuff, I started on his, uh, he's got an influences um, lesson plan where he talks about BB King, uh, Albert King, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, and I want to say, uh, Danny Gatton. Okay. And uh, he has like, there's like a piece that he wrote in the style of that you can play. And then he also just shows you a couple licks that like he thinks are characteristic licks of those players. And I got to tell you, I haven't gotten a ton out of the, the licks yet. Cause I'm not, I'm not a licks player. And then we've talked about it on the show before I'm conversational, but, um, but what I am getting from it, like, so he talked about, um, 
he talked about BB King and I've listened to BB King dozens of times over the years. Like I've gone through these stints where I just try to get into BB King. And I was like, I never really could figure out the secret sauce of why people were interested. But for whatever reason, I hear Josh Smith talk about it. And he says, you know, he's the guy that I want in the trenches with me. And he's like, if I'm playing, you know, a shuffle, he's like, BB King can take four notes or five notes and play those over a shuffle and figure out just the right way to do it and get the most mileage out of each note. And like, he starts going through the process and then I play his little lick that he has to go along. They, they actually, I think there's two or three of them. They go along with it. And then I went at the next day and I, I downloaded um, BB King live at the Regal, which is like my favorite record of his. And I listened to it with new, with new ears. And I was like, oh my God, like now I get it. But just because of the way that he talked about his phrasing and all this other stuff. And I'm like, geez, I, that, I, there's a lot of stuff I can, I can pirate from this. Um, there's, yeah, there, there's some incredible. So in, in True Fire, you've got um, Robin Ford, Matt Schofield, Josh Smith, yeah. Osnoy, Jeff McLaren, yeah. Corey Cucino, Dweezil Zappa is in there too. Ariel, yeah, I was I was getting there. I, that was the one I was going to finish with. But you're, welcome. I was like, who the hell wants Ariel to take Posen. from a guy that's playing microtonal guitar? I know Ariel Posen, Kirk Fletcher, <laughs> and of course, as you said, Dweezil Zappa. I mean, twenty five dollars a month to have access to to stuff from people like that, that's like real le- real lesson plans, and it's high level stuff. If you're an advanced player, I think True Fire is like. It's a no brainer if you're looking to take your stuff to the next level. Yep. Um, we're not endorsing True Fire, but I'm just saying, like, if you're looking for something, that's a great place to start. Uh, and because I can just hop back and forth, like, that's hugely beneficial to me because I can be like, yeah, I want to work on this today. And I can go find a lesson on vibrato or, you know. Um, and I, I just think that it's <clears throat> like, it, it's changed my playing already. Uh, to be honest. And it's also changing me as a listener, which is, which is pretty incredible. Cause that's something that I didn't think I would ever get out of like a master class is like a new appreciation for something I'd already liked, but just didn't, you know, didn't get in the, as a, as a player. Yeah. Um, and so this led me down this whole path, right? I've been playing a lot of blues music. I've actually written a couple of blues tunes partially because now I feel confident in, uh, blues chord structures and like coming up with these different little like riff ideas using the same chords and like hammer-outs pull-offs and all this different things that I can do within that context. Um, and it's just because I've explored players now like Danny Gatton and I've explored players like, you know, Robin Ford, Danny, G- Danny Gatton could come up a lot, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, Heads. Albert King, BB King, Freddie King, all, all of those, these, you know, wonderful blues gentlemen, like, have totally introduced me to this idea that you can make something out of the same freaking you know, 12 bars. You could do incredible stuff with it. Um, and this drove me and I, we're going to, we were talking about this. We were going to do a, a jam track and we're still going to do it. And I'm, I'm going to probably do a blues one at some point too. Uh, but I wanted to say like what my approach has been and how things have changed for me and some, some like takeaways that I think for anybody who's exploring this kind of music that might actually help you. Um, so you, in the evolution of the show, 
I knew what the major pentatonic was when we started the show. Um, I wasn't using it over dominant seventh chords. So like, it took me a while to sort of wrap my head around that. Of course I've known, you know, everybody knows pentatonic. So that's the first thing you learn on guitar. Um, but I think the application of the major one, because it's, because it's a little bit more complex and you have to kind of develop your ear for it is something that people avoid. I, I know players who, when you, I'm playing the major pentatonic, they look at you and they're like, what? Um, and they've been playing as long as I have and are as good as I am. So let's just, you know, keep that in mind. Um, so that was the, that was the, the starting point, right? I'm like, okay, so now I know this and I'd already been playing around with the idea of using Dorian over certain parts of 12 bar blues, especially minor, you know, 12 bar minor blues. Um, yeah. So when you have minor seven chords, Dorian opens yeah. up somewhat. You can use you can use some of the phrasing from it to to get away with stuff. Now I didn't know like so. This is the thing I didn't even know that I was playing Dorian when I was doing it. I was because I was just thinking like, well, I'm just adding this color tone here, this color tone there, and I was overthinking it. Right? Like, I, even now saying I play Dorian might be overthinking it. It might just be color tones that I'm adding to what I'm playing. But I tend to gravitate towards things that come out of that. So, um, that was one thing. Yeah. We have cat Jim back here. Um, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so I exploring that. Right. And then that led to, Hey, what if I use, and I've kind of gone back and forth with, uh, with some people on what this actually means. Uh, what if I use Mixolydian against blues? And what I realized was, it's it's probably not mixolydian in the same way that you would think it is, but like over the one, you use one mix, you know, yeah, and it's doable and it sounds pretty cool actually. So then I get into this idea of like, okay, let's try some different modes, and you can change your mixolydian key to match the, whatever the dominant seven chord is, and uh, make some interesting licks out of that, or you can. And this was the one that kind of blew my mind. And it came out of Josh Smith with the dominant, or he was talking about using um, uh, diminished against blues changes as a passing tone. And I sort of realized like the blue. So if you're playing dominant or if you're playing a dominant seventh chord and you play diminished against it, Dominant seventh actually isn't that far away from a diminished chord. Um, and you can sort of fudge it a little bit and you can play some diminished licks against the dominant seventh. Um, it, they, they sound sort of off. They sound sort of Middle Eastern against it. But you it's, can also use that diminished chord to pull right back to the one. Oh yeah, no, right. But that's a pa- that would be like a passing, yeah. a passing chord where you would put, where you would pull. You can use it against any chord in it. In that's a right. Where you just want to have it, it's a flatted, whatever the the next chord is. Whatever, yeah. Um, And you use it uh, against the chord to lead. You can use that for leading. um, Right. Especially if you're just learning about leading. But, so if you think about this play, when you're you're a three-piece specifically, and you don't have, like, somebody actually playing the chords, like you got a bass player outlining them, you can play diminished in that same spot on your, you know, and, and, imply that diminished pull towards the dominant seven 
Right. And when I, when I realized that I was like, so now I'm exploring whole tone scales and all this other stuff because I'm like, well, what else, what else is out there? What else is going to work for me? And, and, and really what I'm starting to learn is that, um, and I think everybody sort of comes to this realization at some point, but not necessarily a true one, but the realization is there nonetheless, which is that all 12 notes are valid against in, in Western music. All 12 notes are valid against any chord. That's right. It's just the amount of like, how far away do you want to be from the tonic? And, you know what right, I mean? And, <clears throat> right. And how long are you going to sit there? Yeah. Yeah. Especially and what, what, uh, what you're hitting them on to against yeah. the, uh, against the groove yeah. against the beat. Right. Um, yeah. So like you could get away with color, to- color tones and passing tones in between, uh, you know, your major beats or, or your swung on your swung beats. It's a lot easier to get away with it on your, on your swung stuff. Exactly. Um, and I, I, um, uh, I did a recording for that one, uh, bit that we did, that we talked about. Uh, yeah, the ambient track. So <clears throat> I did the recording, um, my my take on it, but I wanted to get some video of it. So I've kind of got to um, mime my part or something. Um, so or just <laughs> shoot some slow video of your guitar and your amplifier and your pedals to go over. That's it. what it I was matter. thinking. You know, something something that can go over there. Um, because I've been asked to do a demo, um, a couple of demos of some of my gear. So I'm going to do some demos. And I thought that would be a good demo. Um, and that was when I was struggling with the video versus the audio. And I got great audio and didn't get video. And I got fake video or didn't get audio. Or Anyway, um, I've got, because I'm just not a person that's going to make six minutes. I'm not even going to make two minutes of audio from the from jam tracks. I just. And so I was thinking, you know, if I come up with three or four minutes of of not repetitious, but using a lot of the same stuff, but showing how I can manipulate those notes um, that I was using. Because what I found, what I find is like, I, I know the, the, like what you're talking about. I know the scales I can play over stuff, right? Um, you, you, you know as much or more than I do. But when I, when I look at it, sometimes I'll go, I'll hit a note and I'll go, well, that didn't sound so bad. And so then I'll want to go back and I want to explore how can I integrate that into what I just did? And that is where I think I discover what I can do versus um, versus what I've been told I can do. You know what I mean? That- yeah. Well, I think a lot of people struggle with that space element too. So like you have, you have, a, you know, let's use the 12 bar blues. Cause that's the one everybody does. Right. So you have the one chord that goes on for four measures, or you have you know the raised the the, the fourth in the second measure, depending on how you're you do it. There's all these variations. We'll just assume straight twelve bar blues. So four bars of one, two bars of four, and I think the um, I think the challenge people have is like, okay, so if I play my minor pentatonic for the four bars of one, so the one minor pentatonic, and then what do I play in the four? Do I play the four minor pentatonic? You can. Do you or do I play the major pentatonic, the one major pentatonic? You can. <laughs> you know, do I play the, um, you know, it, it, it gets into this like, you go down this rabbit hole of like, what's valid? And it's like, right. well, what do you want to be? It, it's almost like art at that point, like in real, in, in uh, visual art, when people go to class in, the, in, the, in college and the 
teacher says, or you know, you got your project you're supposed to be doing, and teacher comes to you and goes, "Why are you working?" And you look at them and you say, "Well, I don't know what I want to do. Can you help me decide what I want to do?" And they go, "What do you want to do?" <laughs> you know, it's like because um, there's there's just so many pathways and avenues that I think people just get lost in it, and everybody kind of goes down this path where they seek advice from others. And I'm not saying that's not a good way to do things. Believe me, I've learned a lot from talking to other people. Um, but when you talk to somebody else and you just like get this cemented in your head that that's the right way to do it, that can be dangerous too. Because um, I, I was watching somebody and they were talking about, oh, you can play uh, minor on the one and then you can play major on the four. And that was just the way they did it. And it was like, I never really learned a different way. And then later on, I learned I could do the, I could do the major on the one. And I can do the major on the four or the minor on the four. or And then I can also play, you know, those other keys. And it's like just expanding your options. Like, that's really what it is. Like, learning what your options are and not getting paralyzed in this, um, well, this is the approach I take because it's the easy way. And and, and really, that's, that's um, I think, I think the, either way to, the easier way to think about it. And actually, the interesting approach you, you took to picking a, a jam track was that I, I was like, well, I want to. I want to play through the chords, so I'm going to pick a chord progression I'm familiar with. I'm going to do a my, I'm going to do a blues thing. I'm still going to do yours as well, but I'm like, but now I'm starting to think about it. And it's like the reason why I'm probably really okay already with being conversational as opposed to being a licks player is because I always played along with whatever progression I heard, and I figured it out by ear. Like this is how I want it to sound, and it wasn't like there was never a time where I said. I would always hyperanalyze it afterwards. I would look at it and say, oh, I was playing a minor scale and it was B minor against this other, you know, this other chord progression, which wasn't B minor. And like, so clearly that's a mode. I don't know what mode that is. Um, And that was the way I approached things. I was like, well, I know this pattern works and I know this pattern works. And I would just catalog up these different patterns. And I knew if the pattern worked in this one position, I could just move it around the deck. And that's how I, that's the way I went. So the interesting part about this was I was talking to my wife about it actually. Cause she was, you know, I was like, I just feel like I've unlocked something. It was like, it was like, you know, next level achievement or something in a video game because I, I realized I was looking at the fretboard and I wasn't seeing scales anymore. I wasn't seeing like the pattern in my head. I was just saying like, I was sort of seeing like, okay, these are the tones that are going to make it sound like this. And these are the tones that are going to make it sound like this. And if you play these in combination, it's going to do this. And just starting to see the outcome more than the pattern itself, which is something like we're talking about major and minor pentatonic. I could see them in the same spot, occupying the same space and just knowing like, okay, to get a major tonality out of it, I need to hit these notes to, to flip over, you know, or just knowing that the chord progression was was going to dictate, you know, what was going to be valid and what wasn't, which is a totally different way of looking at it. I know you were looking at um, you were looking at what elevate jam tracks, and they do the yeah. thing where they have the fretboard with the different scales on it, and then they flip scales at different times. Yep. And I'm, I was looking at that, and I'm going, yeah, but that's I sort of feel like that's the wrong way to show it too. What you want to do is show all the notes and put them in different colors. Yeah. And, and, and that was something that, that, uh, like I said, I, I mean, I use the elevated jam tracks, but I don't necessarily follow. Oh, you, I wouldn't expect you to have to need, need anything like that. That's, that's, right. I, in fact, I think most of our listeners probably don't need something like that at this point, yeah. but, um, uh, but 
it's there. Um, it's a tool. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't have, hurt to have it, you know, in front of you. And then well, sometimes shit, I, mean, like if I, said, I wasn't looking at stuff like basic like that. Sometimes I wouldn't make the, the conclusions I do about what I'm doing. You know, I, I'll tell you a light bulb moment for me um, happened a long time ago when someone was explaining our someone was telling me about arpeggios. This is long before a cage system and everything else. People weren't talking about that yet. I'm mm-hmm. sure it existed. I'm sure somebody discovered it, but this was sure. long before that. But here's 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 a little um, tidbit that that some people don't know, and I still tell people in there, and they they go no, and then they go, oh my god, you're right. And that that is that every chord, I don't care how much you extend it, is thirds. It's just yeah. thirds. And so you're either major, major you're thirds or minor stacking thirds. thirds, right? You're always stacking thirds and you're either stacking minor, major, minor, or you're stacking major, minor, minor, or I mean, I'm major, minor, major. So in, in that order. So well, what about, what about an augmented though? Well then, right. And augmented is the, is the, uh, is a double third, flat third or no, it's, it's a, a double, double, it's a raised third. It's a raised, raised of major third. And right. then, so, and then a suspended and then would be diminished, a flatted, it would right. be a flatted third. Yeah. Well, diminished would just be a minor. Diminished is just diminished. It's stacked minors. Yeah. Because, but what I'm saying is like, if you, if I, if I said to you, play me a B minor seven, you already know that you're going to play a minor third with a major third with a minor third. That's how a B minor seven is built. And um, what, what a lot of people um, realize after I tell them that is like, oh, and then I tell them. Uh, like you don't need all six strings to play a chord and it blo- yeah. especially with a G chord that blows their mind. And then they think about it and they go, that's right. You're repeating a lot of, I said, you play the G chord in the first three strings you play from the bottom, the lowest string yeah. to, the, to the next two strings. You've already played your G chord. You are done playing the G chord right there. Yeah. You actually then play a, um, uh, I, when I tell them you then play a second um, inversion that blows their mind. Yeah. I'm like, now you played just, you just played a second inversion. Okay. Um, a second inversion on top of the regular, you're right. What? Yeah. You played a G chord with a D on the bottom. Right. And then they go, what, what is an inversion? And I tell them, well, that's where you, you're stacked thirds. Your first inversion is your thirds and third on the bottom. And then your second inversion. Is anyway, that, that kind of, that kind of thing is how I figured out how to play an arpeggio. So if I know where my root is, I can always play an arpeggio around the root. So if you right. know where your root chord is, like uh, the thing I tried to do with that jam track that I sent you was don't, not necessarily don't play the root, but don't play the root first. Yeah. And I think that's an approach that works for a lot of people. Start on a fifth, start on yeah. a, you know, start on something like that. And then work. Yep, I start on seventh, I start on the fifth. Um, I would find yeah. my root so that I was coming, I was tonally speaking the language of the of the correct root but what i tried not to do was you know okay i know i'm in a so i'm going to play an a minor pentatonic over this now i'm in i'm over a d chord i'm going to play a d major pentatonic over that because i'm i'm on my four or whatever and and so i didn't want to just do that because you can do that you can do it all day long yeah right yeah if you if you want to play, what's funny is that the, a light bulb will come on. If you're playing an A, folks, 
Take the A minor pentatonic, play it over your E chord, and realize how close it is already to the E minor pentatonic. Phrygian relationship. Yeah. yeah. And so you're already doing a lot of what you would do if you just played E minor pentatonic over to E anyway. Over A. An A or an A um, uh, an E chord in A, uh, because you're on your fifth, and and that's where you can start to go. Oh my God! But now, how do I get back to A? You know, how do I bring it back home to where I was? And that's the that's the key. What what getting to where you want to go, and then bringing yourself back. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you look at it, you know when they talk about the circle of fists, and you already know this. When you talk about the circle of fists, it goes fists one way, but it goes force the other way, right? So um, that's why it's called a circle of force and fifths, or fifths and force, however you want to look at it. And so um, <clears throat> uh, I was thinking, like I said, I, want, I wanted to take, the, I wanted to look at True Fire as well, because I've been thinking about Lick Library, which, why, by the way, has a lot of the same type of things. Lick Library is just another group of musicians who do it. But now that I'm looking and seeing who's in uh, uh, the one you're doing, True Fire. I mean, they all have talent behind them, but I oh, just yeah. feel like True Fire, the way that they structure their material and the way that they let the instructors structure their lessons, like it's always a, here's what, it, here's what we're doing, then they do it, and then here's why we did it. And I get more out of the, here's what we're doing and why we did it, a lot of times they do the actual like lesson part of it, like right. the actual playing part, because I don't, I don't have a lick catalog. I don't catalog or categorize the licks I play. They just sort of accumulate and then go out the window. And I would much rather know the explanation as to why and what scales are playing against it and why things work, because that's going to help me put ideas down. Where I'm like, okay, so I know I can get away with doing something like that, you know, and then and then that that bleeds over into my playing. The other thing yeah, is, yeah. I've also learned, I've also learned from it. We were talking about blues exploration. Is like listening to somebody is probably more influential on me than playing like them. Yeah, I I agree. One of the one of the things um, I think it's because we grew up, um, and a lot of our listeners did too. We grew up in a in a society where you listened to your guitar heroes and then you tried to emulate some of what they did. You couldn't possibly do it all, but you tried to emulate some of it. Um, you know, how many nights did you sit? Like I said, I've said before where you took the needle or the fast forward rewind button and you figured out how to play a, a song right around the time you destroyed the media you were using to learn. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then you had to go buy it again. <laughs> you had to go buy it again. Right. Um, I couldn't and, believe you could actually wear out CDs, but I have done it. <laughs> I, yep. Yep. There is a limit to the number of times you can play a CD folks. Um, uh, and, and even though it's a lot, take my word for it. I've destroyed them. Um, so uh, the, what I was getting at there is this now I, I can't imagine being a kid of my son's ages or my daughter's age. We're in there. Um, my son's turned 21 on March 1st. And my daughter's 26. The, I can't imagine trying to um, uh, go where somebody says, okay, D5. It, it sounds like they're playing bingo. 
when they when they explain it's like D five, D seven, D nine, uh, D B eight, uh, E eight, E ten, B eight, B. I'm I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Are you trying? Are you playing bingo? Or are you are you playing guitar? And it's because and and because they do that. Here's a, here's the thing that's lost, and I want to stress this. Um, and and you uh, you chime in if if you think I'm wrong, but this is what I would lose in that is what is d8 and what is the why are you playing e10 and what does that mean and what is it when you're talking about like c like like extended chords like c9 because te- an eight and a ten wouldn't be oh no no i'm talking about the string and the fret oh the string and the fret the string and the fret. oh that's yeah, what i'm talking about e9 yeah, well, that's a way for them to get around the the graphical explanation of what things are. I used to notate them as fractions. I would have a so like fret over string, and I would just fraction it out, and then I would say, okay, yeah, this is six, the sequence eight, you're going to play, ten and six, it's a chord, or, yeah. you know. And then and then you could you could translate it into tab if you needed it that way, or you could just figure it out the three or four times it would take you to play it before you yeah. would actually know how to do it. Well, well, what I'm getting at is it, it if I take. What I what I just explained, by the way, was the the top part of the E or the A um, pentatonic, minor pentatonic. Right. And the the thing is that what they don't do because everybody will say, um, oh, it's the E minor pentatonic or the A minor pentatonic or whatever. And the the lazy part is to go, okay, it goes, um, like I said, G nine, and then E eight. E uh, or B eight B ten E eight E ten. It's like okay, but what did I just do there? And there's five notes there, but what are they? And what did I do? And what what did I accomplish there? And so, how does that work over A minor pentatonic? And how can I apply that to E minor pentatonic? Or how can I apply it to G minor pentatonic? And because what happens initially, if you think about it, if you're a positional player like that. All you're going to go is, okay, I'm in E, which is this many frets away from A, so I have to move this many frets, and that's what I'm going to play. Instead of knowing these are the notes. Yeah, it locks those people into the, the block style of playing. Actually, I think that's where the, the – I think the cage system sort of does that too because it ma- breaks everything down into positions. And it's like, well, I can't play a position that includes notes from the other position. You know, like yeah. it, it, sort of, it sort of begs the question of, do you need positions or you just need to know where the damn notes are? I mean, I think the positions are a great, great way to learn where the notes are. Right. Right. Um, but I never learned it that way. I learned it as, okay, so I knew that these notes were the next ones in the order and I could go like one extension or two extensions higher. And that's basically a cage system. It's the same thought process, but because it didn't enable me to think of the idea of this vertical block, I was I think I was automatically set up to learn to do things like what, what Eric Johnson calls playing the ladder where I could, you know, play these four note patterns that got me all the way up the neck. Um, and I could do that all by ear now. So I'm not even like, that's not even a, I don't even look at the the patterns really anymore as a pattern. I just see it as like, these are the notes that are valid against this chord, um, which is, that's not a new development. Like that's, that's been going on since we started the show. But, but the, but for me, the new stuff is like applying theory to things and deciding that certain skills that you wouldn't think worked against something do work against something. Yeah. Um, just finding the right approach. Um, 
I'll, I was just talking about, you know, a, a general light bulb moment. I think. Yeah, no, no, for sure. That for me, I think it would be um, uh, instead of strumming a chord, a, a good idea for someone would be, okay, instead of strumming your chord, just play your chord. In other words, break the chord and play arpeggios and just play arpeggios and try to find a new arpeggio to place every time you do it. And that way, yeah. you start to realize, oh, this is G. Oh, this is G. And this is G. And this is G. And this is D. And this. Even if you're playing three simple chords, have you ever noticed? Like there will be a two chord song, and yet it, you'll hear some beautiful tones over it. You, I know, because you've done it. Um, uh, where you take, uh, e even if it's a, uh, a minor two uh, one, and you go back and forth, or a, t uh, a two, a two. What is it? A two six one. Six, two five one. Two five one. Thank you. Two five one in jazz, right? Take a two yeah. five one. And basically just like their jazz dude, most jazz tunes are just two five one, like done in different keys. And <laughs> I mean people are like, I, oh my God, listen to all that complexity. Yeah, that harmony and complex and like and it's like that's a two five one yes. done over and over in <laughs> with like twenty different key changes. Like what the hell? And I, I mean, it's like yeah, now minor, like nice, simple key changes. Obviously, they're you know jumping from melodic minor, which uh, that's another thing. I gotta stop before I go any further because I'm gonna look like a total idiot. I have to admit something. I knew natural minor, I knew harmonic minor. Yep. I knew natural major. I did not know there was a harmonic major. No, oh, I did like, not know that. It never occurred to me that I could just There's play a harmonic major. A harmonic you can oh. just play harmonic minor uh -huh. starting from the third of yeah. the minor and that's harmonic major. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, okay. I did not know. This is the one that, that busts my balls though. I did not know that melodic minor was different than natural minor. I did. It had never, I had never heard anybody play it and say that's melodic minor. I was just on those color tones. And then I like, I saw somebody say, we're going to play a melodic minor today. And then they did the scale and I went, that's not melodic minor. Like, what do you, what do you know? <laughs> and then I played it and I went, wait a minute. That's the raised seventh. And and there's another tone in there. I forget what it is offhand, but I, if I might get, get sixth. And I realized, oh my God, here's this other scale that's like closely related to diminished that I didn't even know existed. And then it just like my brain broke. Because yeah. I was like, I've been playing 20 years and people use this all the time. And I hear it like I'm playing it and I'm going, you're kidding me. Like yeah. this is on every record I've ever loved. And I didn't even know it existed. I, I have a tendency. Yeah, I have a tendency to play the harmonic minor. So I have, I, I stay away from the melodic. Well, harmonic minor is, is Wait, really cool. You probably play natural minor. Natural minor. That's the one. I play. There's three. Natural, yes. melodic, and harmonic. <laughs> yes. I tend to play flat three, flat six, flat seven, which is natural minor, right? Or is that melodic minor? I'm trying to remember. I think that's natural minor. I I'm I don't know offhand what I the, think that's natural. I never th I've always think think about it in terms of what its is, relationship to right. the major. One is flat three, one is flat three, flat six, flat seven, one is flat uh Three, flat six, dominant seven, and so or I mean, uh, 
major seven or the other way around. Um, yeah, the ma- I think the, the major seven one I think is the natural minor. Yeah. No, that's so harmonic that's, minor. It's harmonic minor. Harmonic minor. That's the one. So that's why I, I tend to play always flat three, flat six, flat seven. When I'm playing yeah. minor, I tend to do that. But that's not always the rule, especially not pop music. Because nobody uses thing. harmonic minor in pop music. I mean, that's because that sounds like like classical, like or or even Spanish influenced or or uh, Arabic influenced music. Yep. In that that it has that raised seventh. Yep. Um, but uh, melodic, natural minor, not melodic minor. Natural minor is used in, I mean, pretty much everything. Um, I, I just. The harmonic minor, like, is the or not the the melodic minor is the sophisticated jazz sound, right? Like when I heard that, I was like, "Oh my god!" I thought that was like whole tone and all this yeah. other stuff. It's really just this other minor scale that I never, I didn't know that they did that. And it has to do with um, it, that the reason those scales exist, why there's three different minor scales, has a lot to do with the difference between Pythagorean tuning, in other words, pure tuning, and then yeah. um the Western, you know, well-tempered tuning system, yeah. equal temperament. So, well, yeah. And it's how you apply your harmony to, uh, to your song to be able to get, uh, Oh yeah. That's your decision of which one. To yeah. Use. It's, it's massive, massively different and you can big, you can borrow. So like if you're playing, yeah. um, if you're playing a chord progression and you're like, Oh, it's going to be a minor. Then you can grab chords from a harmonic minor. You can grab chords from a, melodic minor and if you do it in a tasteful not so conspicuous way you can make some really creative you know decisions there right Um, and you can you can take your chord progression and turn it from a boring uh progression that's that's continuously going back around to something a little more tasteful a little more colorful Um, yeah i don't i was for a long time my approach to writing music was like I will not use a triad. <laughs> I was like, okay, no major, no minor. It was all going to be sevenths, extensions, you know, all the way up to 13 and like beyond. And I had this realization one day. I'm like, but, but man, sometimes that triad just sounds really good. Or even just that power chord, yeah. like that G power chord, that the, uh, the G five chord that, um, and even Halen used, you know, without the, without third yeah. on the A string, like, that I was like, that was the kind of the realization I had was like, yeah, sometimes it works just to use power chords, mm-hmm. but I spent a long time coming up with voicings that worked with gain um, for seventh chords and diminished chords. And yeah, I never really got into augmented stuff, but um, that's another thing I probably should explore more is like augmented and how to play against it. Augmented always seemed like a passing tone to me. Um, I, every time I thought I've ever seen it used, it was never used as a chord to land on. It was always a chord for to get from one place to another. Whereas I have seen diminished chords as the chord to land on, huh. but it typically is in you know kind of avant garde sorts of music like you know Frank Zappa and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, um, you know when I when I do dabble, one of the, one of the things that I, I'll say this. So I, I hear a lot of these um, blues. Uh, um, like instructions and believe it or not, I hear the same song every time. And it's funny because 
um, I can sing it right over top of it. And you know what song I hear a lot? It's that song that goes, Georgia, Georgia. You know, I, and. <laughs> but I think that's you being locked into a melody and an idea yep. and not so much like the. Um, attitude and stuff that comes out. It's like blues for me in a lot of ways is about attitude and about, and I, I don't mean attitude like, you know, I'm a jerk today or whatever, but I mean like just your approach to it and how you as a player respond uh, against what the other band members are doing. And it's almost like the performance is more on display than the songwriting in the sense that you're really more or less like it's about your personality, who you are. People went to the blues clubs in the fifties and sixties to see guys like BB King be BB King. They didn't go to see, you know, this great song. I don't think I, in the same way that we would go to see, you know, uh, queen play Bohemian Rhapsody when Freddie Mercury was like, it's a great song, right? Like, right. Um, and, I think that's, there's a lot to be said about the like the undervalue of performers in other forms of music, whereas in jazz and blues, it's all about the performer. But then again, I also think they're the most challenging forms of music to play because you have to be on. You cannot make a mistake. Like not in the sense that you can't make a mistake, but like you have to be very deliberate with your choices, and you have to say something. You cannot ramble in those forms of music. If you want to see people rambling, go to your local blues jam, especially one that has a poor reputation. And watch people because you'll see people that are just totally inexperienced. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. They need a place to go to get that experience. But the, the, um, it, it, it deeply illustrates to you what Jim's talking about in the sense that, like, oh, yeah, when I hear 12 bar blues, I always hear that same progression and I always hear it the same way. And like, I agree in a lot, in a lot of ways. Like, I can, you know, you can put, you can take, Clapton style blues and you can sing Steve Ray Vaughan lyrics over it. As long as it's the same chords, you'll get oh, away with it. I, I'm not even talking about the chords. I'm talking about what the people decide to play over it. And sure. I, sure. I, and I think there's some stereotypical stuff that, that that right. Yeah. And it, it's the limit. That's the limited vocabulary. Even if you don't, even if you're not a lick player, because that can be a, an issue with that. But I think the limited vocabulary in the sense that, I only have these four scales that I know that I can use here, here, and here to draw from. And they haven't sought out or even just stopped and like been like, I already have this pantheon of scales I use for other forms of music that I also play that I can take and I can borrow from to make this work. And I think that's a critical moment for a lot of players that puts them into that next level. So you watched Mike Mara do his, his live stream and like, I'm going to pick on a show listener, but like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. There's somebody who's learned a lot of different stuff and is applying that to what they're doing in the context of that group. And it's like, not, he doesn't repeat himself. You know what I mean? Um, and I think we all do repeat ourselves to some extent. And I think that also comes from like, we have our comfort zone, right? Um, we'll play that, you know, you've all got your three licks that you play every time you pick up a new guitar. It's the same sort of thing. But I think that people who can consciously get away from that 
and can remember all of the wellspring of information they have at their tool in their toolkit can get away with some really crazy stuff because they can go out and then they can say, all right, so I just played this. I I'll stop for, for a second uh, at the end of this. And I want to, I want to circle back on something else, but like, they can take that toolkit and they can apply it to not everything is a nail. That's what I'm trying to say. When you have a hammer, everything's a nail, but they got more than a hammer. They got saws and ratchets and, you know, wrenches and, and uh, bulldozers and they know how to use the right tools for the right job. And so the more tools they have, the more jobs they can take on, which means that even in a 12 bar boost context, I can do, all these different techniques. And I'm not just talking about phrasing techniques, like where I would consider like tapping to be a phrasing technique or, or, you know, hammer-ons and pull-offs to be a phrasing technique. Um, but they have just this extra wellspring of, I don't have to play straight chords. I have all these different voicings that I can do. Um, even the idea of like playing, you know, a B blues in the brute position for a lot of people that would be like, you want me to do what? Uh, but it's like, we should, as players know how to do that. You know, we should, we should learn that and we should, we should relish that because those voicings, and this is what Robin Ford teaches. He, he starts off by doing that, right? Like playing unorthodox blues in the root position starts with E. I think he plays it. He thinks, I think he plays a D, um, in that position and maybe a G in the, in the root. And, and the interesting part is that he's showing you like, okay, so we're going to play this chord and then we're also going to have these other notes that we can just hammer on or that we can, we can trill against and do different things to like spice up our rhythm playing. And so it's truly not, it's technically not chordal in the sense that you're still, it's still over a G chord, but he's doing some comping that gives it some openness and makes it more, more, more character driven. And like I said, I think that's really what the blues is all about is being character driven. Now the circle back here is that I'm actually talking about doing some, a live stream broadcast thing where every week I'll get on and I'll play for an hour. And I don't know exactly what, how I'm going to do it. One of the things I started to do is I was talking to you. I was like, well, where did you get your jam tracks at from? Because I could probably use that. It'll probably be copy left for me if I buy them. And um, I've actually reached out to a couple of people that, that um, I've, use their jam tracks on YouTube and I haven't had any responses yet, but I'm hoping I know at least one of them is really busy. So I'm hoping I'll get an email back and say, yeah, if you buy it, like no problem. Um, but I want to get, you know, full sign off because Twitch is the wild West right now in terms of the music stuff that's going on over there. But I'm sort of thinking of the angle. If I do this, I want to, I want to compose all the music that I play. And for me, that means going back to simpler forms of music like blues. And so I'm like, well, I can do, you know, 12 bar blues backing tracks on blue in the face. I just need like a shuffle. I need, you know, and I can think of it in that way. So it's like a broad strokes kind of approach where I can say, well, I can have a shuffle. I can change the key. I can change the tempo. I can maybe do a new drum track or a new bass track, per, you know, and it's, it's not going to be super hard for me to build out, you know, 10 or 12 blues songs to help pad out the, you know, the segments. So I don't have to do an hour of repeat music and I, I can't do covers because can't buy sync licenses. So that's a whole other conversation, but um, I, there are tons of people doing covers over there too. 
Maybe we should talk about Twitch for a minute. So that's the like that's the new frontier. I I discovered it because my wife is a Twitch streamer. She's been for several years. She's been doing a live stream occasionally. And during the pandemic, she started a couple months ago just doing it like super regularly. Um, and I've actually done a couple of live streams with it, just experimenting with it and like seeing what was possible and learning how to use OBS to stream to Twitch. And what I realized was like they have a music streaming section over there and they've got guys that there's a band that has like this giant stage set up and they're playing from home every night and they, they involve their fans and the, the fans can put money in the tip jar and then they can request a song. Now here's where it gets really weird. So Twitch is the new frontier. There's no DMCA action, the digital millennium copyright act action against Twitch yet. Um, they're trying to head that off of the past, Twitch is owned by Amazon, by the way. They're trying to head that off in the past by saying, you know, please don't do this. Please don't do that. They do have a copyright team that, that uh, turns off channels that have, you know, violations by playing copyrighted music um, during their, during their uh, live streams. And Twitch started on primary as a game streaming uh, platform, which if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's not a new thing. It's been around for a long time, but the music community over there is pretty small. Like, I've been on and there's been 50 or 60 people on. Uh, and then, of course, whoever's watching them. But um, so I think it's kind of an untapped market. But I'm looking at it and I'm going, all of these people are padding out their sets because they want to do it four nights or five nights a week and not play the same material over and over and over. So they're playing covers. And Twitch in their rule says, if you're going to play covers, please make sure that you're not saving your videos so that you can rebroadcast them. So don't allow rebroadcasting. But I'm sitting there going, doesn't matter. You've created synchronized material. You are playing someone else's music to a video track, which is them being broadcast. Yeah. That's a sync license. And sync licensing is expensive. To get a cover license, it's like night, it's like what? Like three cents a song or something. It's some, some stupid low number. And I think to, to, to get a, um, um, to get a license to cover somebody's song is actually relatively inexpensive too because that's handled by the publishing company. But to get a sync license can be thousands of dollars for one song. And so like that's because Led Zeppelin, for example, which, which is a great example because they didn't license their music to anybody for the super long time. And then all of a sudden Cadillac was able to secure a license for rock and roll. Yep. And they paid an ungodly amount of money to get access to that song. And like, that's where I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like this hasn't happened yet. People have not gotten ticked off enough yet in the music industry at Twitch because the audience is kind of small to, to shut yeah, that it's, down. It's chump change. It's, it's not even worth the, the time and effort right now. Right. But if they ever get to the point where they're desperate enough, which I think that day is probably coming. Um, I, so I'm like, I already put in my Twitch profile bio thing. I'm not playing co copyrighted covers because X. And then just basically explain like, listen, DMCA is the wild West. Twitch says you can do this. I don't think Twitch is God. I also don't think Twitch is the law. <laughs> so, if you want to do that, do that at your own risk, but please don't request me to play covers. It's not going to happen. Um, right. 
and it's not that I have anything against it. Like I do play covers in a band, but I just, it's not, listen, I mean, that's just like, that's too dangerous because that's a recorded record. Even if it's not being broadcast out or rebroadcast, like yep. there's a record somewhere that you did that. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pay like on the cover band, we, we play places, we play at places that pay ASCAP so that we can perform covers. That's the, I mean, you may not realize that's going on when you play at some of these places, but most clubs are paying that They're, they have a list of scab clubs. You can go look. Um, they actually know at least one of them in the area. Um, and you can get into trouble. I mean, that's, I don't think ASCAP's going to do anything to a band that plays there because they know they got to make ends meet, but they're going to be pissed at the club because the club's, club's not paying the fees. And they're probably suing them behind the scenes or sending yeah. them cease and desist letters, you know, at the very least. Um, I know clubs that have been shut down locally because they violated that. They were not paying and they were actually recording music. And reselling it to back to the band, which was the funny part. Like that was the way the court case went. They were they were doing board tapes and selling them back to the band for like seven bucks. And of course, that, everybody did it because it's like, well, like, hell yeah, I don't want to have to make my own board tape. Yeah, to, give me give me yours, you know. Um, but it's like one of the bands ended up selling their board tape as like a live bootleg thing. Yep, and yep. a lot of bands do it. got them destroyed because they were a Led Zeppelin cover band. And Atlantic Records came in and they sent their lawyers over and they shut that down fast. Um, they, that place was closed within 90 days. They folded like a lawn chair. Because um, they were going to be hit with a $150,000 fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, one place, one way to put a small business owner out of work is to charge them $150,000 for something that they probably were just ignorant of. Anything. It probably had never occurred to them that like, hey, we probably shouldn't be recording covers, you know, because um, we're not paying. And that's not even the sync license. That's the other license. So. If you're wondering if, if there's any noise bleeding through for our audience, uh, there's some people doing some dishes in my kitchen, which, yeah. which is OK. I pay the gremlins to do dishes. So. The gremlins. Mm-hmm. Speaking of gremlins. There's one. I yeah. Get out, get out of here. Well, believe it or not, she wasn't in the frame. Oh, good. The cat good. was. The cat is. Oh. You can see your cat's back. Well, I would like the cat to get out of there, too. <laughs> cat's on my uh, Lone Star cabinets. <laughs> I was teasing my wife. I was like, when my Fillmore shows up, I'm going to have to get another blanket. Is that why I was going to say you're going to have to get another cat blanket? Literally, another oh, cat. Blanket. So I have blankets. So I now I have a Walking Dead blanket and I have the cat blanket, and they just go over my amps, even though they're in their covers, just to give me a further level of protection from cat claws. Because I just don't trust. I just don't trust them. My animals want to kill me, so I just don't trust them. That's funny. Um, but I've got so the Fillmore has not gotten here yet. Did I mention that I got a camera for the show? I think I mentioned. Yeah. Earlier. Yeah, early. We did that first. Yeah. Um, that's that's a good idea. I will not be spending much money this year. <laughs> I, Yeah, gear-wise, I'm going to be yeah. flat out. I'm not going to say wh- what camera I bought or how much I paid for it, but let's just, let's just put it this way. I did not anticipate spending that kind of money on that. Um, 
So, but in the, I needed to do it because I want to start getting content out for the show and I needed to, I needed to change my process for doing it. That's part of the reason why I have not been doing demonstrations and lessons and those kinds of things, because I didn't have the tools available to me to do it in a convenient way. Um, also, this camera has an audio input and all that stuff. So I'll be able to do a lot of that. It, right it's hard camera. for people who think that what we do every week is easy. You got to remember, we do, we do this setup. We do this breakdown. This usually takes about three or four hours out of our, out of our week just to do the one day in the time frame. We're, I'm not talking about anything we do outside of it. I'm talking about just this. We have a little bit of discussion before. We have discussion after. And then we have discussion during the week, but this little bit, you know, here in this can't believe it takes us between three and four hours. Last night we were on the phone for a couple hours. Not all of it was podcast related, but some of it was. And, and a lot of it is to test this stuff. To make yeah. Sure we're well, gonna be- ran through an OBS setup that's going to actually improve that time somewhat. Yeah. But it's still, like, we still know there's stuff that's going to have to be done in post. And really that was part of my problem with my video workflow was like, I was going to do all this stuff and then I was going to put it in my computer and then edit it for six or eight hours because lighting is never good or just trying to get like certain things to be better than what they were when I did them. And I suddenly realized I was like, I got to stop beating myself up. Plus, I mean, there are other things I want to do with my camera too, but I'm just kind of thinking like just having that workflow improvement the podcast is probably my second most important music project. And first being, of course, my, my own music, but um, it is more important than my cover band. Let's, let's be real here. Like I've spent three years of my life or four years of my life helping to build this with Jim. And so I was like, you know, I've always been doing it with like hack, hack together setups. I've been using my iPhone for the last year, which by the way, shooting video on the iPhone is great to a point. There are, there are always issues with this kind of way of doing things in that, like when you're shooting a video and somebody's text message comes up and then the app closes <sighs> and you're like, are you kidding me? Because you forgot to put it on, on airplane mode. And it's like, why can't the app put it on airplane mode? Cause it's sandboxed. So it's yep. like, well, I, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to do something like that. And some minor technical detail has cost me like four hours worth of work. Just just something stupid like that. Or um, my previous camera, I was shooting in 4K at 24 frames. And it just crapped out on me in the middle of it. Like seven minutes in, it just stopped recording. And so I did this 30-minute video and they realized I got seven minutes of it. And I was like, well, that was a waste of my time. Now, I love the footage I was getting off my iPhone in a lot, in a lot of cases, but I'm telling you this new camera, it's going to be much better. It's going to be a lot less of a hassle. Now the only, the only caveat is I have to learn to use the damn thing, which it's a lot more complex than anything I've, I've messed with, but I know in principle what it all does. It's just finding out where the stuff is. It's like learning a new doll, you know? Um, And it's not something that I intend to be upgrading frequently. I don't foresee myself buying any more for a very long time. Um, my last camera I had for eight years. Um, but that being said, this one doesn't have the problems. I was going to be actually, I was hoping to do use the, the DSLR that I had to do the show. Um, and what ended up happening was the 
uh, interface that I had for the computer would not support it. And I did some research and actually um, the company that makes the interface had a, uh, an article about it basically said, well, the camera shuts off after 15 minutes, which I had experienced um, if it's not being handled or, or used as a battery save feature. It was an early DSLR for or consumer DSLR. And uh, they were like, they were, you know, back then they were concerned about overheating and stuff. And then the other thing is, is it is not a 1920 by 1080p output. It is a 1690 by 1080p output, which means that it's actually just taking the screen resolution on the camera and then passing it over, which is what it should do. Um, but because of that, they would have had to, to crop the uh, camera screen, the camera output. Which would have been fine, but it's like, okay, if you're going to crop the camera output, you know, at that point, I was just, I was fighting, to, I was fighting an uphill battle. And I realized this is an eight year old camera. It doesn't do some of the things I wanted to do anyway. So I was like, you know what? As, as complainative as I've been, I almost bought that Zoom camera several times because it's, it's got built in XLR. And I finally just said, you know what? The hell with it. I'm going to go and I'm going to get an approved thing that a lot of people are already using. And I'm just going to pony up the money. And that's what I did. Um, and now I've got to deal with paying it off, but um, <laughs> I'm hoping on well, So I'm thinking, I'm thinking big picture. Um, I'm meeting people in bands. I know some people I've got my Fiverr now, which I don't think I've talked about either. I'm I'll mix your record. You want me to mix your record? Find me on Fiverr. Hit me up in, in Facebook and I'll send you to my Fiverr page. I will mix your song per song rate of between 10 and $55, depending on what it is. Right. And most of it's going to be 10 bucks because I'm looking for experience and I'm looking to get my name out there. Um, I'll mix it for you. Um, and so there's the Fiverr thing. And I'm kind of thinking like this would be another way for me to generate some income is to use my camera and go out and shoot bands. I know a lot of bands around here. I could go and, you know, hey, I'll come out and I'll shoot your band. We'll put together a promo video. All I want from you is to pass my name if you like the quality of the stuff I'm doing to somebody else. Yeah. And I used to do that with consultants. Like I would help somebody out and they'd say, hey, if you, you know, if you like my work, I'm not going to ask you to pay me. Just tell your friends and they, and they will pay me. <laughs> like that, that's, well, don't that's tell me you got this for free. Because what yeah, you don't, don't want to do is you don't want them to find out that, oh, yeah, I, well, you did this for so-and-so for free. Why won't you do this for me? For well, tell them. I'd be honest. I'd be like, well, that was promotional because at that time I was not looking to charge because I knew that I needed to get in front of people. And that was promotional. But right. you got to be diplomatic about it because I've definitely been with people who are like, well, I'm not paying if they didn't pay. And I'm like, well, fine. And you ain't getting shit. <laughs> and that's basically the way I walk. We'll the somebody way else. You know, um, it's a it's a it's a tough road. I, I hear so many different things from, um, especially of course, uh, what's his name? You mentioned him earlier, the producer guy that, that does the videos. Um, uh, which one? No, you didn't. Um, that was somebody else who mentioned him. You know, the guy that used to do, uh, he'd yell and scream and say the F word a lot. Glenn Fricker. Fricker. Yeah. Glenn. Yeah. He, he talked a lot about how a lot of bands screwed him out of his money. Oh, sure. I mean, that's, sure. That's why that's why he has taken such a hard line approach of half up front and all those different things. Yeah. To make sure that he was getting compensated. And I would absolutely enforce that. 
outside of a digital, you know, a digital platform like Fiverr or um, some sort of contract situation. I mean, if yeah, or, if somebody's not going to give you twenty bucks or fifty bucks for their work, then then they don't deserve it. I mean, oh, and the reality is like me going out and hanging out with a band for an hour with a camera and like yeah. just trying to film things and get interesting shots and I am. I have no qualms about doing that. Um, I would actually partner up with somebody. I, I, I had know some people that would be able to help me so we could get multiple angles and we, we split 50 bucks to go out and sit with a band for an hour, 25 bucks a person. Yeah. You know, one person pays for the pays for the ride there. And then band gives you free beer. Like, I, I don't drink, but I'll sit there and no. shoot you. Like, I, yeah, I guess soda or average drink. Well, um, the press kit is the most important thing, man. And everybody wants to be in social media. So that's right. Why the hell not? I'm bringing my GoPro to the kit, to the gig. We're doing uh, Thursday. Uh, you should. And you should. And that's actually, I've even talked about that. But that's another thing. I, I have some people I trust that could go with me to open mics and stuff when this all blows over and I can yeah and, set it up and, on a thing in the back and just be like, all right. Film away, you know, because um, I don't like I would not leave it on the table unattended. Somebody's well, going yeah, to watch with that this way. stuff that's going on. It, you're in a different city with this stuff that's going on here. I could set this up the way it's sitting right now and I could just leave it. Yeah, and I could. Somewhere. And I have seen people do that. Like I've gigged with people that like have pretty nice equipment and they're they put up their GoPro in the audience and like. I'm like, you guys are crazy. I would not put up anything like that. I didn't, I didn't you know, go to but, the bathroom with my guitars on stage unless somebody was right there watching. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. And I, I I've, I've been known to give people like five bucks and be like, keep an eye on my stuff, you know? I, um, so for this gig, I'm probably going to take the 335. I'm either taking the 335 and the SG or the SG and the Strat. And it's going to be, and I think I have to have my acoustic with me. So it's probably going to, it, there's no fucking way I'm going to leave that stuff on attendant. Plus, I don't know if I'm going to take the Marshall with the, with the Captor X doing the, you know, the volume dump thing. Yeah. Or if I'm going to take, uh, um, the you like that attenuator. You like that attenuator, don't you? It works great. <laughs> I've never anybody had an attenuator of, yeah, that that's that's damn good. That's, it doesn't work great at the, the the apartment level setting like the all the way down but like the second one yeah is that's the one where really i leave it, it should be because you can yeah. then crank them up and they don't get so loud on stage that you can't do like, anything with them can't tame it right right if you're well you're playing a, 50, a 40 water which is basically 50 watts like i uh i'm playing a 25 water so i don't think it gets loud enough that like you could gig with it on its own with the attenuator on but it gets loud enough that you can hear it and pipe it through the PA for sure. Uh, yeah, what we're gonna do? I, I'll be fine. I'll be yeah, fine. I'm in, I'm looking forward to it. Here's Paul. So it's how a, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're about there. You want to you want to take us out, or you got something you want to share? Uh, no. I mean, I, the thing I'm sharing is, guys, I I'm not buying gear. I mean, the truth of the matter is. I have not bought anything, um, and uh, I I feel good about that. Um, I haven't been to Guitar Center since uh, a couple of days after I quit, and that's because I got I bought this hat. 
I uh, got a coupon and I went and bought this hat with it. I paid an extra $2 or something. You mean this, this hat? Yeah, that hat. Only mine doesn't have the cool diamonds on the side because yours. Yeah, you don't. Well, it's a Mesa Boogie hat. Yeah, yours is custom, so it's amazing. Like, yeah, it came from the custom the the Where, Gibson Amplifier Custom Shop. Mine is just Gibson USA. I got I got these lame guitars over here. They don't. Anyway, yeah. diddly. I I have to laugh. Um, I'm in the uh, I'm in the Gibson group, and every week I hear the same. I've I've said I said this on another sh- uh, another week. Is it every week I see the same with or without a pick guard. Uh, would you get this neck? Which w- um, tell me how much my guitar is worth? It's like, God, you are and the laziest people on the planet. And the, and it's always like questions that they know the. This was the one that gets me. It's like, should I take the pick guard on or leave it off, or, or take it off or leave it on? And it's like, can you really not make a decision for yourself? I mean, yeah, seriously. Make a decision. There's not some magic reason to take it, take it off or leave it on. If it's a good, if it's a color like this or a burst, take it off. Who cares? Show the, show the color off. Because if, if you're picking it hard enough that you're going to bash off that finish, you, you, who cares? I've never, that's the thing I don't get. (laughs) Honestly, if you saw my pick guards, you'd go, Jim, are you picking your guitar? I don't, I must not dig deep enough or I don't, Bang in the direction of the pickup. You probably don't pick through. You're probably an anchor player and you don't pick that far down. Like you don't, even when you're playing rhythm, you're probably in a very tight, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, like, like how far it. can I get my hand through it? <laughs> like, I've seen like, yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughn was like that. He was, he was a hacksaw yeah. guy. I mean, he was, well, I don't, I was, I'm not a hacksaw guy, but I will definitely get my arm me. involved. <laughs> and even when I'm, when I'm strumming, I'm, yeah, it's very like you're very from the palm. Yeah, it's very much like this. It's very, very small movements. Which is tight, it's controlled, and and you probably can do some really good funk stuff that way. I mean, that's because uh, yeah, you can think, play the, the two-string str- two chords and all that thing. Yeah, that so. that was definitely... Yeah, because when I learned to play two-string two chords, it was like knowing how to mute and how to just like... It's almost as if your hand yeah. is wet. You're just trying to shake yeah. the water off of it. You're not right. doing this. You're just shaking the water off your hand because you've right. got to be but tight. Easier. You've got to be fast. But this never moves. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's right. not. If you're not going up and down, that's why. Right. So if you if you probably approach to most of your rhythm playing, or if because you, you talked about it, you don't play a lot of like six string chords. No. Um. You're not no. picking through. Like that's right. just not happening because you don't need to. Yeah. Actually, you want to be the, more tight and controlled with it. Yeah, the, the biggest chord, I'll play like, uh, um, you know, uh, I think. For me, that's a big chord. Yeah. Um, and yet, usually I'll be playing. I'm not playing, you know, like most people would do. So it's not a big, huge chord. So even when I'm playing acoustic. Um, I don't tend to go way through. And I guess, I guess that's probably, and it definitely, I I always feel like I'm going to break my strings probably because when I started, I started on sevens or sixes. Right. And, uh, back in the, back in the seventies. 
And um, even on acoustic, I only played like, I didn't play thick, thick strings. I played like tens. Um, these are twelves. I've I've stuck with twelves uh, since, but I played acoustic tens. And so it's funny. I hear people talk about their quote unquote light strings, and I go, "That's a light." <laughs> when I was a kid, I'll show you what light was. But um, that aside, I learned not to hit too hard because we didn't have we didn't have a music store. If I broke a string, it might be two months before I could get another one. And so. Um, it, it was a 50 mile drive. Um, and you know, we didn't have money and we didn't, we didn't travel much. So it was, Oh, I'm at the music store. I better buy. That's why I'm a hoarder when it comes to my strings. I have a, a, a whole lunchbox. Yeah. Well, you saw all the strings. We like talked that. about it. Yeah. It was a couple episodes ago. Jim, Jim brought out his uh, stack of strings and we were comparing. I mean, it's just like, and I don't need to do that anymore. I can just pretty much any time of day or night, go get strings. Uh, either from the store or my friends, but because of that, I grew up like that. I tend to have a bunch of, you, if you opened any one of my guitar cases, the guitar it's for, it's got two or three packs of strings in it. And then I've got those. That's that's Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's the same with picks. I mean, you do, you do too. I got a bunch of picks sitting here on my, on right in front of me. Um, yeah. I will actually don't have a ton of the ones I use, but like guitar string wise, I'm really guilty of just playing them until they finally die. Like yeah. mine are the ones on my, my S 500 have been on there for probably four months. They've been on since I went to Michigan. So probably November. The, the Les Paul was probably three weeks, two weeks. The three, three, five is when I bought it. Cause I, the first thing I do is change the strings. And right. I've right. Had it for a month and a half or so. You the didn't SG, want any DNA on your guitar. I, yeah, no. Um, and the SG, I do have to change the strings that I recently, I don't remember when, but the, the Strat's got eights on it. That's on purpose. That's to okay, make Okay, Okay, yeah. No, it's, I, it, it, I wouldn't be able to play an MVA lick to save, lick to save my life. I, I, really, I bet I could teach you one. I'm sure you could. If, you, if you've <laughs> got one that goes, but I just, I have to, my hardest thing is trying to do like where I pick through because um, I spent a ton of time learning to um, uh, alternate pick. And for some dumbass reason, I will not pick through. I'll alternate pick going from five strings right straight through all alternate pick. Yeah. You know what? And you're talking picking through what you're talking about is uh, economy picking. Economy picking. And uh, economy picking, like the extreme form of economy picking is, of course, sweeping. Yeah. But um, that's, I can do both. And it was because I spent so much time economy picking. When I finally picked up alternate picking, I was like, okay, so this approach works for this. And actually what I found is um, I do this weird hybrid because they, that uses patterns of picking that are just sort of ingrained in me. And I, and I think that's probably the way it works for most folks. Once you figure out like this picking pattern works to go up and down. And if you do this and this and this and all these three things combined, and so you build all these patterns on those three things combined. And it's just something that happens subconsciously, but that's exactly how I do it. Cause I, I I've gotten to the point where like descending, I'd rather be alternate picking, but going, uh, ascending the wait a minute. Yeah. Ascending, ascending. <laughs> ascending I definitely want to go, uh, I want to go economy picked. Yep. 
and it's it's just it just happens that way because the downstrokes are easier to go through, and the upstrokes you get better art- articulation when you're doing outside picking. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, it, for some reason I'm stuck in it, and I and and a lot of times like I'll, I'll pick the wrong notes because I'll try to do this and um or this, and what'll happen is uh, my brain will get ahead of me, and I'll I'll fludge it. And it, you have to do it really slowly it. and yeah. you have to work. You have to do it really slowly and just force yourself to learn like one lick. Yep. And this is the way I did it. I learned one lick as slowly as I could. And then I would work it out until it became kind of reflex when I played that, that lick. Yeah. And then I started to just play some of the other things I used to play and try to incorporate it more and more. And there are times definitely even now where I can catch myself doing it the way, but, I, but I, I sort of like when I take it that da- break something down and analyze it, a lot of times it's harder for me to understand what the hell I'm doing than what I'm doing it. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, what did I just play? And I'm just there going, wait a minute. Like that's four notes in the space of three. Like what the hell? You know, I'll, give like, you, I'll, I'll give you the primest dumbest example in the world that, that has tripped me up a million times. And it's, it's, um, uh, it's off Pink Floyd's the wall. And it's a song called, um, uh, I hear the intro. It's, it's just like three notes. It goes, um, Hey you. Yeah. And I, we, you got to remember, it's not just three notes and the three notes. You go, you go three, three, two, three, 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 two, three, because he breaks it up. He gives that that weird. And that thing. was finger picked. And that was finger picked. Yeah, and so, and that's the other thing you can't. You really probably can't tell, but my fingers see how they're dark right there. Yeah, that's because I've been finger picking all day, and um, so I tend to, you know, but I don't have any nails. I gotta, I gotta grow my nails. Um, the, because well, if you do if you do a lot of finger picking, the interesting thing that you might want to look at is the Danny Gatton hybrid approach, because he does all that economy stuff, but he does it with he does it with hybrid picking. Yeah, and it's like once you unlock that secret, like I, things just start coming together. And I've got some of it down, but like I would not in any way tell anyone that I can hybrid pick because that guy's a was a monster. Well, uh, um, let me tell you something. I have a heck of a chime doing, you know, where you go, where you get hybrid pick, right? So you got to pick in these two, and then you're using these. And I tend to go, uh, like, I'll go doom, 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 doom. Like, I'll, I'll practice, you know, with the with the oompa thing yeah. going, and then I'll try to play licks or chords with these fingers. And the problem is, I was an anchor player for years. This always sat right on the pick guard or it sat on the highest string and so it would only get out of the way if i was playing the high string so like because i can yep yep That's one of my songs. I don't know if you got any of that on the. Yeah. Oh yeah. It came through. It came through beautifully. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. 
um, is where I'll, I'll sit and I'll work on stuff like that because that, that is where I'm weakest and I, and I'm not afraid to try something new. So, um, I'm also, uh, uh, working in Troy Nelson's, um, or not Troy Nelson. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, shit. And that speed kills. Um, that's, that's, uh, what's his face? Um, that's Badio. Badio. Um, Badio stuff is still, or Badio stuff is still way too fast for me. Um, uh, yeah, I would not expect, I, that's too fast for me. <laughs> like, oh my God. It, he's, it's too fast for what you would need. That's what, the, that's what, yeah, go ahead. Well, like for me, like when I look at players, like they was like, oh yeah, they're like technical gymnasts and they can do all this stuff. And I listen, I go, yeah, but do I need that? Like, do I need that ability level to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? And that's not necessarily a knock on those guys. I mean, obviously they have better technique than I do, but I, I just sort of look at it and I go, I can assimilate as much as I can to the point that it's useful. Yeah. And somebody like, Badio is not as useful to me as somebody like um uh who's the guy that uh uh he's a Yamaha endorsee now. Uh, Frank Gambali. Yeah, Gambali. And I see him sort of like similar thing because they all have like they have a very specific technical gymnastic. And I'm not we had Badio on the show. I'm not gonna um downplay how good that guy is. Oh, yeah. but I'm just saying like for me. I would find more joy in, in that other approach. Yeah. Well, Badio is like a classical pianist on a guitar. I mean, that's, that's really what he does. His is more classical where Gambali is more based in the jazz blues um, arena. Yeah. And fusion, that's, and you know. that's really, yeah. Where we're approached. Didn't he play with, uh, did he play with Chick Corea? Um, yeah. He was in uh, return to forever. Yeah. Rest in peace, Chick. We, we lost you this week. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's one that hit hard. Yeah, <laughs> I've got, I'm a big Chick Corea fan. Yeah, so. I was. Uh, yeah, that one was tough. Um, uh, Troy Statina, that's who I was trying to think of, and he does. Troy uh, Statina, yeah, I know. okay, right. Yeah, Statina, Statina, I don't. Stratina, Stratina, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, he's uh he does speed mechanics. He's I've got his speed mechanics for lead guitar. I was looking it up to see, I, I and uh, he's got an incredible um. Uh, thing i'm i'm gonna ask him to come on the show um uh he i had his sabbath dvd did you really first somebody gave it to me for christmas and i learned so much black sabbath from that dvd i will never forget watching him play it and going yeah okay and it was the first time i watched somebody play play and like learned it as i because I'm like, oh yeah, and I learned a lot of it by ear. Because even though I could see his hands moving, there was no tab. I wasn't using tab. I was just listening. Yep. You know, I have fond memories of that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got some great uh, instructional material, and he's back at it. So um, I kind of, um, I think I'm going to reach out to him on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I got show. that Chris that Chris Brooks book too, which which he he's got a great book in the classical speed strategies for electric guitar. Yeah, we uh, spoke Neoclassic. with him. Of course, COVID went down. Um, we spoke with yeah, him. Yeah, we had him scheduled to be on, and then it like fell through, and then there was a whole other thing. And like, I, maybe we can get a hold of him. I wonder what his touring schedule is looking like right now because of the COVID. Yeah, I'm sure that he's a little less. Uh, I know he's. Uh, I, I see him on Facebook all the time talking. Uh, um, uh, he's he's one of those people that uh, 
we we practically had to. I I, uh, I practically had to get on my hands and knees to beg him to come on the show. And it isn't because he doesn't like to do. He wouldn't want to do our show. He just doesn't have promotional time. Like he's he's busy. Um, yeah, he was very busy. So um, I'd like to get him. There's a, there's a few people I'm trying to reach out to. Well, we got at least one guest coming up, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we have another guest coming next week. Next week, yeah, is a uh, guest coming up. So. Um, those of you who are interested, we do have a guest coming next week. I'm not going to um, uh, uh, spoil I mean, it. I'd be fine ruining this day, but... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> we got Robert Jackson coming back yeah, on the Robert show Yeah, Robert Jackson's week. coming back. Um, and, uh, he's, a, he's a funny guy. He's nice. We guy. always love having him on. He's a riot. I, can't, I actually can't wait to have the interview. I'd like to have Nick back on, too, but... Um, yeah. That's something I'd like that, to do a round table of uh, some of our people. Nick... Uh, Nick and uh, uh, Robert and some folks that we've had before. Oh, and I spoke with um, uh, Steve Stein. Uh, he's yeah. cool with coming back. So well, awesome. Um, I'm going to schedule him, uh, work with him on his schedule, I should say. And uh, um, I've been asked to reach out to uh, Samantha Fish. Um, so that, yeah. would be, that would be awesome. I would love to have uh, Samantha Fish on on the show. I don't know if she has the time available for us right yeah, now, it though. Be, it would be awesome. I've um, uh, I've got to reach out to her publicist. I finally found the right people to do. Um, yeah, when you do this, folks, it's it 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 doesn't happen overnight, um, and sometimes it does, and you just have to be ready for it. Like and sometimes and sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Like they they just yeah. don't want to spend the time, but. Well, we Nita, do we were actively Nita, seek out people. Yeah, yeah. we were going to have Nita Strauss on it. We might be able to get her next. She might not be. We could probably have her back on, but or we could probably have her on. But I didn't like the way that her publicist treated me, quite frankly. Yeah. I'll be I'll it's, be blunt. <laughs> yeah, it's tough because the publicists who are the people who speak, I shouldn't say they're, for them. They're the defenders. They're the defenders. They have to hold the line, you know, and I yeah. get that. Um, and I've had some just publicists that just stonewall you. Um, you know, there's some people I want to reach out to. There's some, there's some really big names. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I like to, uh, there are some folks that are actually busier now than they were like, um, cock is any set, any studio, any studio cats right now are really busy. Yeah. Um, Um, that's what I've been hearing. So, and that's, that's a tough one. Um, so yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking to get uh, Andy Aldor on here. I'd like to get him uh, talk to him. I've been I've been uh, reaching out to him uh, recently, and um, uh, I'd love to get Greg Cock on the show. He'd be I think he'd be just hilarious. If I get back to if Gearfest happens this year, um, I will drop a business card in his hands. Well, I'll be make sure too. that if yeah. this, if if it happens this year, I'm coming. I'll take a week off and come. Um, uh, I, I want to make it so that I have time to enjoy it. Uh, sure. You know, who else? Um, you know, there's, a, there's I won't be spending of, much money. <laughs> that's for no, sure. No, I'm not buying any gear. So it's just we'll going to be, be my, my travel. <laughs> this is, this is my year. It might turn into two years of no gear. I mean, I, I've been thinking about, you know, what do I want to do next? And I think I want to dump a lot of money. We, we talked about that. And, um, I, I don't want to do like, nickel and dime myself into stuff. I mean, when you think about it, uh, Oh yeah, it's, it's easy to this, like, 
It's yeah, easy to make small purchases that just run out your bank account to the point where you don't have money to do the actual gear things you want to do. Um, right. That's why I think pedals are a trap in a lot of ways. I think people fall down that well and, and they fall down the well for the wrong reasons. Like if you know what you're going after, that's one thing, but I do think there are definitely people who get into the pedal buying thing and they get very focused on, I want to get, my drive sound from pedals, but the drive sound they're chasing is an amp drive sound or um, reverbs and things like that. Cause they don't like what's in their amp already. And it's like, well, really what you really want is to find an amp that has a pleasant reverb that you actually like, you know? Yeah. That kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we've got some changes coming up uh, folks. Um, like uh, David said, he's going to do some live things. I've been looking at, uh, putting some demos together. I've been asked to demo some of my gear. Um, I don't know why people want me to demo stuff, but I, I, I appreciate being requested. Um, and, uh, you know, um, it, it's a, um, it's hard because it isn't just demoing the gear. I, I can do what everybody else does. Here's the clean channel. Here's the dirty channel. Here's the I don't want to do the same thing everybody else did. So coming up with, with something to say um, and something to demonstrate um, without sounding cruddy and without being overly, you know, like, like you're trying to shield the stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. 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 I don't want to do that. Um, and it's not me. next and for next week. Cause we didn't talk about John Potts thing in the group. Um, I do want to talk about that. We're going to talk about, we, we need to make it a conscious effort to talk about, the state of direct guitar and my, and your opinion on the whole like modeler craze that's been going on and that stuff lately. Oh, um, yeah. Cause, Cause we, obviously we've had some shifting opinions on some different things there. And there, I yeah, think ever since the quad cortex has dropped. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I have, no. I, I got another comment on YouTube about the quad cortex and how there's nothing there's nothing saying that, that there's any litigation and I'm going, no. that's right. And there wouldn't be because it would probably be in cease and desist letters and negotiations behind the scenes to license. The yeah. Patent. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, that makes sense. Well, hopefully, you know, so yeah, folks, uh, keep, keep us honest. Um, uh, we're, we're, like I said, we're, we're working our way towards becoming a little more of a channel. Um, because we've just been doing the weekly thing and putting out spurious, um, stuff. Yep. We want to try to ramp up, but it's all been about the cameras and the, and the other stuff. I looked at a lapel mic today so I could do some lapel stuff. And the tough thing about lapels is that they, you know, they, it sounds like this. I don't even know if that's coming. Through, right. But, um, it's just silly. And, uh, I, I hope that we can we can make it happen. So yeah, I'm confident. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, I've been Jim and I've been David and cue the music tonight. We've been the practical guitarists. <laughs> yes, we have now cue the music. You stick cute it over us. It's cute. It's cute music. <laughs>